Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. The tragic, sad death of Kate Moran makes the front of many of the Red Tops today. An All-Ireland winning camogie player died after sustaining a head injury in a freak accident. Uh, although she was wearing her helmet and her visor, I think her head was in contact with uh, a hurley and sadly she uh, was passed away. Um, she is an early 20, hit by a slitter and a hurley. Uh, during a, a club game on Monday and tragically passed away yesterday. It's just so, so sad. Papers this morning say uh, that she was uh, she suffered the head injury in a game uh, between Athenry Camogie Club in, in County Galway uh, on Monday and she was hit by the slitter and Hurley while attempting to block the ball during a league game. She lived for her camogie, lived for her sport and lived for her colleagues. Uh, a youth All-Ireland winner dying after the pitch accident. And of course, sadly, the back end of last year, we heard of the death of Harry Byrne from County Kilkenny, who lived on the hurling field, they said at the time. It's uh, understood that he was, he was a 13-year-old lad who was hit in the throat having uh, while having a, a puck around at break time and a, and his school apparently in, in Kilkenny and the impact damaged his carteroid uh, artery in his neck and he passed away it's very very sad when you hear stories like that uh, of any death of young children but uh, young people but you know playing sport it's devastating uh, there was a near miss of course uh, yesterday on Blarney Street more on this a little later on you heard it in the news there this morning where a car flipped over on its roof um, thankfully nobody was injured even the person driving the car uh, got out and, and walked away. Speed did not appear to be a factor in the incident by all accounts, but it's such a narrow street, isn't it? It really and truly is. In fact, many of the streets up there actually are. You know, you've got Blarney Street, not too far from it. Nightmare to drive through Sunday as well. So that uh, was very, very serious because there were some people near it, including a lady by the name of Kira Rogers, who lives on the street seconds from being struck uh, by that um, a car that flipped on its roof. So, more about that. Yesterday, we were talking on air about the planned injection centre. Now, I've been talking about this planned injection centre for so long now. I think I'll be well off the air, well retired, or even dead maybe, before they actually ever get around to cutting the ribbon on it. But uh, Katrina Toomey has warned that um, it's not a solution in itself. More on that this morning. She says, oh, very well to have an injection facility for people who are addicts, but there needs to be a bigger wraparound service that really involves an awful lot more um, concentration on things like rehab and helping people who suffer from addiction. Uh, giving them a supervised injection centre is all very well, but they actually are just forgotten because all they're doing is injecting. Now, with regards to the amount of Ukrainian refugees coming into the country, the Times this morning says that there will be uh, many coming to Cork in the coming days, hundreds uh, coming to Cork, because uh, we're running out of hotel spaces, particularly in Dublin. Now, I dealt with this on the air last week, and I was identifying stories from you guys as to hotels that cancelled various bookings um, and were you know, refunding money and what have you, either directly or through booking.com, because they had given the hotels, and B&Bs are also doing it around uh, the county of Cork, to refugees instead. But the emergency accommodation facility at Mill Street, uh, from this week onwards, will take... Uh, at least 300 of the 1,000 refugees who are arriving into Ireland and did so over much of it over the uh, Easter weekend. Uh, we checked with the hotel in Cork that said the hotels are getting nowhere near uh, the 200 per refugee per night that was suggested on air last week. The figure is actually less than half that number. Uh, it does include full board and full laundry and what have you. 
but the hotelier in Cork said with the current room occupancy, his hotel is purely taking them in for turnover purposes and to keep staff employed and lights on. Uh, that it was very quiet anyway at this time of the year. He was saying that they're not really making any profit from it. They're just keeping the uh, hotel open. Um, unfortunately, had been going on about hospital waiting lists teetering around just under the 1 million mark. The Mirror this morning says that the accurate figure now is 1.35 million. Uh, it's closer to 1.5 million people now. It's like maybe 1 in 4 people are on hospital waiting lists of one form or another. It's just incredible, that figure. It really is. And, you know, you can say COVID this and COVID that and COVID the other, but the waiting lists were very, very high even before COVID came along. And of course, the various teachers' conferences uh, make the papers today. The words of the newspapers, not mine, say that it's going to take 280 million euro to satisfy teachers' demands. And the mail says that they will fight uh, tooth and nail for an up to 6,000 euro salary boost because they want to fight inflation. So they're lucky in that regard, aren't they, if they get it, that their wage will match inflation. Because for many in the private sector, of course, that will never happen. But Matt Cooper asked the question this morning in his column in the mail. And he says, with rising prices um, and, and all of the grief that people are going through these days, it's amazing that seven out of ten people have no trouble making ends meet, he says. And he goes on to say that in recent research, it says that nine in ten people are satisfied in their jobs and are not looking to move their jobs. And I would have thought it was the other after COVID, but he says nine and ten are happy out. So he says, which makes you wonder where teachers fit in, given that their union leaders are complaining bitterly about their pay and working conditions and want both of these things to be improved significantly. Why is it so okay for everybody else, but not for teachers, he's asking. You know, we hear on the on this program uh, from time to time the stories of people go overseas and they have successful jobs, a lot of the time gastric banding and sleeves and what have you, but not all of the time. There's the story of an Irish woman uh, who flew to Turkey for dental work. She says she was dictated by cost and uh, not the quality of the treatment. And she says now uh, that uh, she probably will end up losing all of her teeth because of cut price dental treatment in Turkey. It was quite expensive in the end. I mean, the first time she went out, she spent 1500 The second time she went out, she spent another three and a half grand. But everything started to crack. She developed abscesses in her throat and her mouth. The entire side of her face became uh, infected, left her in excruciating pain. And now, of course, it's Irish dentists have been asked to put it right at a huge cost to her, I suppose, as well. She can't eat, apparently, and is losing rate, weight rapidly. And I saw a story in the, in the, in the, in, on Sky News recently of a, a girl by the name of Michelle Heath, a 40-year-old. She also went uh, to Turkey for surgery. I think she was getting rhinoplasty and it went all wrong, uh, all wrong. Distressing testimony of her and many people made uh, the Sky News report on this. It was just a simple nose job, but it certainly didn't go to plan, suffered severe complications and is now in a coma in a permanent vegetative state. She is unable to walk speak or do anything independently for herself apparently. So that's a, another example of now, notwithstanding that there are many people I spoke to on the air are happy out. Not all of them though. And poor old um, uh, Liam Gallagher apparently needs new hips. He's 49. It's all the rockin'. Maybe, uh, you know, I'm very 
strenuous and very physically active thing being a rock and pop star so apparently he's got arthritis and it can only be fixed by surgery and that involves new hips apparently um, and to other body parts well not so much human body parts but car parts um, has anybody seen or experienced how bad our roads actually are they are atrocious. I don't think I've ever seen them so bad, particularly if you're driving country roads. And the problems with the country roads, of course, aren't just the potholes, but it's the botch repair jobs that have been done uh, when work or drainage has been put in or pipes or whatever it is. They're certainly not laying pristine roads anyway. And have you ever noticed that the worst of the roads, apparently, are in the entrance and the exits, the approach roads into towns and villages? They're absolutely craterful. Uh, and apparently many, many cars now are reporting wrecked car parts. And it's not just tyres, it could be wheel rims, it could be chassis, it could be all sorts of other issues. There's a survey in the Star this morning, according to the AA, uh, the damage, serious damage to their cars, motorbikes or push bikes because of unrepaired potholes are just atrociously bad roads. Love to talk some more about that because I've seen it in country roads more so. And a lot of these roads are on the, the um, Wild Atlantic Way. And they're just shocking. Oh, incidentally, I was talking yesterday about uh, limiters being put in new cars. There's another story coming out of the UK this morning where they're saying that, you know, with, these, with the self-drive cars that are coming down the track where you'll just literally sit back. There was a lot of talk at the time as to if you were to crash in a self-drive car, who's responsible for the crash? At one stage, they were saying, it's you. And others are saying, well, it can't be me because I wasn't driving it. It's a self-drive car. But apparently the British now will pass a rule and a law saying that you will not be liable for um, a claim if the vehicle's involved in a collision. Collision. It will be the insurance company that will have to pay out. And they've also said, oh, and by the way, you will be allowed to watch television, movies, Netflix, whatever you want, while the car is driving along. Actually, Netflix does make the papers today because they've lost um, subscribers. And it seems like 200,000 subscribers have dropped off from Netflix. I can't understand why. Actually, maybe I can. I know that you can't watch it in Russia, so I'd imagine that was a, a fair old chunk. And also, maybe more people are out now than they were during COVID. And I guess Netflix figures went through the roof, through the sky during COVID with many people at home. But people are out and about now. More people are back to work and doing different things. So Netflix shares have taken a drop. And Ed Sheeran, who plays his Cork gigs the weekend after next, he's in Ireland and he's visiting pubs and he's pulling pints of Guinness and he makes all of the red tops today bumping into super fans and what have you. A very approachable guy by all accounts. Uh, and while I talk of Guinness, apparently Guinness now have decided to bring out uh, their latest version of the black stuff with a shot of coffee. How would that taste, I wonder? Cold brew coffee beer. Um, apparently it's on sale in the UK, only in cans and only in Tesco. Won't be long before it's rolled out here. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. A lot to cover this morning, and I want to get stuck in. And I know I've set up a conversation with Michael Collins, TD, on the lovely turf. Um, uh, but just ahead of that, when he joins me by phone, I'm just going to touch base on him on the state and the condition of our roads. Now, I'm blindsiding him on this because you're not expecting it, but I'm sure he's well capable of the same. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Uh, just, on, just on that story, actually, that's making the papers today, the state of our roads, primarily in rural Ireland, they're atrocious, aren't they? 
hundred percent. They're appalling and appalling conditions, and 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 they're talking about the, the motorway and they're putting in new speed uh, tracks on the motorway now that people have to be very uh, aware of. That yeah. if you're doing one hundred and twenty-one kilometres an hour and you should be doing one hundred and twenty, you're going to get caught. But the roads are in appalling condition. I went to Cork uh, the other morning because we had a bus going to Belfast. And it was raining very heavy from West Cork all the way from Goldine, you could say, to, um, to Cork City. About 13 or 15 times I met floods on the roadside that were quite dangerous not to put me off the road, you know, without I lowering down the gears, yeah. without I going through them. Because the the, the, ver- the dikes aren't being cleaned out or the gullies aren't being cleaned as such. Uh, going through towns, I, I can name them one after another, bending in places like that. They're, they're, they're not holes there at all. They're, you could sink some of your cars. I went do, from do, Cork to Glengareth and Bantry uh, for an overnight at the weekend. And the roads. I mean, I'm not being disrespectful to people living down there, but town after town, particularly the approach approach roads into towns and villages, I've never seen it so bad. It's, it's just, is it just bad repair work or what? It's it's it's, it's poor uh, funding being given to to the local authority, and they can't carry out the the proper um, works that needs to be carried out. Unfortunately, sir, they, like they're botch jobs on botch jobs, are they? Botch jobs, unbotched jobs, and unfinished jobs, and you know, look, seeking further funding to finish off jobs. It's it's just incredibly frustrating. It's difficult for drivers, costly for drivers because they have the damage you're doing. But as I said, the number one thing was always to, to clean your roadsides and, and, and clear long road used to be done by shovel. Then they, they used to use machines. Neither has been done now. And I found myself, uh, you know, literally going off the road on several occasions on my way to Cork just because there was a bit of heavy rain. If you travel the motorway, that won't happen. No, and so we have all sorts of money being set aside for the Cork to Limerick uh, bypass and we've got the McCroom bypass and all sorts of things like that. When actually the, all of the other roads are in such a state of disrepair, they really should be addressed. They really and truly should because shock absorbers are being damaged. Damaged. Wheel alignment has been damaged. Tires are being bursted. Wim, rims are being damaged. Suspension is being damaged. It's just—I don't know. I've never seen well, it so bad. Another, it's, it's extremely difficult and very unfair on motorists that are paying high prices with, uh, you know, fuel and and, and other costs as well. The repair repairs that have to think that this is what's happening to them. Try, most of them, in fairness, though, are, are pretty professional. They're able to go around these holes and around these trenches that are inside, inside in their towns and villages and, and out in the rural parts of the roads. But that's not a way for drivers to have to have to train. I know, you end up car. weaving around on the other side of the road then into oncoming traffic and everything. You do, that's, unfor- that's the unfortunate situation people are left with. They have no choice in the matter. It's, it's highly dangerous, I can tell you that. And it's because there's a complete lack of funding and eye off the ball as to what happens in ro- on our roads in rural Ireland, you go into most of the towns that I'm talking to in West Cork, and your car is jumping up and down and banging and hitting and walloping, and you can't avoid a lot of them. You just, you can't. You just get on with it, but it's, a, it's very unfortunate. Do you ever stand up on your two feet in Doyle Aaron and freak out about the state of our roads? I have, especially, you know, there was it last winter now. I, I, I think I met um, uh, a guy in a finish station. He told me that there was a 11... Um, in 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 Bandon that day there was eleven that morning there was eleven punctures after coming into <sighs> people after going to potholes it was just it's astonishing you couldn't you couldn't write in the book to see you know I what mean, was happening to people I thought myself because it's a hole after hole after hole and of course it was after a wet uh, after a lot of rain it was it was a disaster no I accept and, the potholes but I'm still talking about the, the the botch jobs these kind of like channels and these uh, long uh, strips of badly filled road, you know, where it's just completely uneven and all over the place. The potholes are another issue entirely, I think. It's just, 
It like is, yeah, but story. you am told by the local authorities that there's a bigger job, you know, they're awaiting funding for to carry out a bigger job and, you know, this is the unfortunate situation we find ourselves in that minor roads are being, you know, are being neglected. You look at, you know, the, down here in West Cork, we have no bypasses since the Skibreen bypass was put, put in 20-something years ago. Bandon is crying out for bypass, Inishannon is crying out for bypass, Bandon is crying out for bypass. And no funding be made available. It's just as if I think the last time I questioned Eamon Ryan, Minister Ryan, um, he said he was talking about eight years. We look at we look at these things in eight years' time. That's no way to to be running a government. We should be treated the same as every other. Yeah, um, you, you, you recently uh, at clinics actually talking about the Greens and Eamon Ryan. Um, you're saying their Greens are running the country. Uh, people down west are saying they're ruining the country. Is that because of uh, the bogs and turf and peat? Yes, absolutely. There's a there's a huge outcry in in in, in Road, but definitely urban Ireland as well. You know, people have been. Well, it's not in the city and suburbs because nobody uses it. You see, I I don't know. I think there's always a bag of turf flying around here and there because it's 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 at least it's an additive that you can add. You know, because of the times we're in. Unfortunately, oil has gone out of control. It's coal is unreachable, so people are trying in a sprinkle of coal and a sprinkle of turf and a sprinkle of timber. Timber, unfortunately, is going to be the next attack. That's the next dream of the. So they're burning. The they'd be burning it illegally, wouldn't they, in city and suburban areas? Well, the way the way um, the, the, the way things are going to happen now from September onwards, regardless of where you're from, it's going to be illegal unless you can dig it above in the field yourself and bring it down above in the box and bring it back to the house. That's an insane. It's an insane plan. And I, I, I do, you know, figure. I'm figuring it out here that in my mind that I don't know was Mihal Martin and Leo Varadkar aware that this was going to be announced, and where they cut off the hop, but it's not good enough. They have not come out and said this is not going to happen, and it can't happen in these times because people cannot afford. To, 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 to purchase fuel and turf was an alternative and a very yeah. good alternative. Yeah. They're making it look as a dirty alternative, but it's not a dirty alternative. Well, I know that, alternative. but they are, you know, it's an article makes the papers this morning where they're saying that it's the equivalent to the Amazon rain, rainforest or peat in our boglands. And if you'll, you just bear with me, they're saying that they are, um, that, that peatlands um, in Ireland, 20% of our land mass is covered by peat and, and, uh, and turf. And it's crucial for uh, our, our climate, apparently, with regards to, um, I suppose, the the natural peatland of Ireland um, absorbs carbon and absorbs pollution. Um, it, it, it actually sucks in all of the, the badness, apparently. And if we burn it or if we use it, um, we'll no longer be capturing carbon, carbon um, um, and not only will we be affecting climate warming and climate change, but also threatening habitats and species and those plants and animals that use it for their home. Neil, look, they'll put up a counter-argument, but to be quite honest with you, Ireland is a beautiful, a beautiful but small country. And you have to look at uh, the damage that all the countries are doing. And they are the people. And this is where Ireland needs to be concentrating their efforts to educate the world, not educate the Irish and punish the Irish. And that's what's happening here. A bit of an old bag of turf there as an additive to a fire as it's, as it's burning in the night caused no problem to anyone in rural Ireland. Yeah, but no they were saying the same about country. that in South Africa, where they were just uh, cutting down forest after forest after forest to make way for palm oil and sugar cane and tea and coffee plantations and clearing the rainforests to make way for cattle grazing, that, you know, you have to draw the line somewhere. I know, but there's a big difference between the population of South Africa and the population of Ireland. And what we're doing here is, is very, as I said, pure and simple, a few uh, sods of turf in the night to, to, to keep the fire going, because people cannot afford 
the alternative, sorry, what's out there at the present time. But as I said, the home heating oil is, un, uh, is untouchable at this present time. The coal has gone out of complete control of the price range of the ordinary people. So you have to look at an alternative. And unfortunately, this government has never put in an alternative. They're actually going to try and ban the people from using their fires. They're, they're so those off the stove or shut off the fireplace. That's the plan in this government. But there is no alternative in place. They're talking about wind turbines and wind energy from the sea meal. And there was an expert on the radio the other day, and I listened with great interest, and he talked of all the positives, and there is positives if, if some of this happens. But he, he was pressed, and he didn't want to answer the question. He took quite some time to answer the question. He said, in the end, the report said, when is it going to happen? We need to know. 2035. So now, I'm in 2022, and I can't burn a bit of turf for, a, you know, a lot of people are saying they can't drive the car because the fuel has gone out of the, the price range. They're yeah. quite happy you don't. That, that doesn't happen. You can't put the oil heating into the into the tank because you can't afford to do that. What alternative have they got? 2025, 35, and we'll have warmer homes in between. If you have 25,000 to spend, we'll give you back a grant for that. People don't have that. Technology. What will happen in 2035? Sorry. The wind turbines. Oh, wind tur- turbines. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, you'll, then that's an alternative. I'm all for alternatives. Any, any person in the world would love alternatives. But so what, so, so what will happen after September 1st? Because I imagine that many rural homes all over the county, north, east and west of me, have ricks of turfs outside their, their house or their cottage or their bungalow, do they? They, they would have. and they, You know, some people are panic buying it now. Uh, I think it's terrible to put people under that pressure at this present time because they're afraid that when it comes uh, September that there's some kind of a, a ban coming, which is an insane situation. I, I, I can see Neil, the unfortunate situation we're going to find ourselves in this country is that the Gardaí are going to be st- stopping cars at the roadside to see are they smuggling bags of turf inside the boot of their uh, car. Well, so I'm just wondering how they, will, how they would police it. It'll be, it'll be the same as, as if it's poutine or as if it's a drugs you're carrying in your car, a, a bag of turf. Are we gone that far in this country? Is, is, there, is there no... Do you know we were... Yeah, but people don't uh, buy turf by the bag. They buy it by the half trailer or by the entire trailer. I mean, like, you know... But you, you, can, you can buy it by the bag too, because I often bought it by, by the bag myself, and I'd be quite proud, and I continue to burn it regardless of what they'll say. I will continue to burn it because it's an alternative, and it's, it's, a, it's a clean alternative in rural, rural Ireland, and you know, you could look at many other things out there. They'll say the coal is, 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 is wrong to be burning coal. Where do we stop? What do we do? Do we leave people frozen in their home? People, a lot of people can't get fuel loans. Neil, I know that. If they're five euros out above their pension, because they might have had a contributory pension, they won't be allowed a uh, fuel loans. If they're three euros, they won't be allowed a fuel loans. So they have no allowance as such. So they're looking at alternatives. To at least keep a fire burning in the house, keep themselves warm. It's a very simple uh, common right is to keep yourself warm. And if if they if you are a Green Party attacking that at this present time, and it is a bit by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, it's going to it's going to cause a, a huge backlash, and it won't be accepted. And is it primarily with the elderly community? It would be, and the people with disabilities, and the ordinary people do. The ordinary people at this present time need are suffering. They haven't got the money, and instead of being, you know, we're 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 facing and we're we're heading into a very serious recession. There's no question of a doubt about that and this recession in my view will make the last recession look like a holiday but so we need the government the government of the day to look at ways of easing the burden on the ordinary man and woman and the ordinary whether they're young or old or indifferent and the people with disabilities and instead they're burdening them more and burdening more and a big smile on their face we were discussing the rural independent group last week the last week we were inside in the doll at easter before easter we were discussing um our views against carbon tax three Green Party TDs got up two red from poetry, one red from a song. 
here in Kilcoquinet. <laughs> they, so, they stood up in the dawn and read poetry. The they stood up in the dawn and read poetry and read the lyrics of a song. Poetry. In their, in their turn to talk, which they're entitled to, just poetry. They started reading quotes and poetry. That's what the way, That's where they're dreaming. They're in a very, very boxed-in dream, cuckoo reality. Where's the reality in the ground? That's what I meet people at my clinics, and I meet people and talk to me, distress and them around during the weekend, the rage of people. You have to go back to that. You have to bring this up. You have to fight for the army people of rural, rural Ireland. And I'm, I don't mind, I can guarantee you there's loads of people that in, in, in our cities burning a, a bag of tough that they'd get from Yeah, but the guards aren't already. going to call to somebody's house and threaten to arrest them. I mean, they're not going to put in speed checks. Even the Department of Environment, Climate and Communication said that nobody's going to tell an 80-year-old that they can't burn turf. It's quite confusing, actually. This probably will all just peter away, pardon the pun. Well, if, uh, I, uh, I just wondered why was this announced just after the breakup of the doll for Easter? Number one, was it trying to take the heat or the the the, the whole thing off the Tony Tony Hooligan situation? <laughs> just because it, it didn't make any realistic sense uh, to me as to wh- what what they were saying and what was going to come out. There is a ban coming out in September. If there's a ban on anything, Neil, that gives the right of the uh, for the law of the land to be applied. To. And what That's will happen if there is a ban from September first? How will people react? Do you think it would be like water I, protests? Ninety nine, exactly. That's what I was thinking. That's the protests that are going to hit the country, and ninety nine percent of the people will ignore the ban and just they'll be smuggling turf to, into their homes, which is a shocking way. In the middle of the night, like that, that people in the middle of the night, they'd be and they'd be guards out on the roadside watching for a bit of drink driving. Now they have to watch for drugs. They have to watch for. Uh, in case I have a bottle of protein and now that other watchers say in case I have a bag of turf is that the society we want to live in today I certainly don't think it is I don't I think the okay. Greens need to have a read think about this I think Fianna Fáil and Finnegan need to wake up okay just to just what, a, I mean I listen to what people up. say you've mentioned Pochine a few times there are people still illicitly distilling Pochine down west or, or what's going on I, I, I would genuinely I wouldn't know, I wouldn't ah, know give me a break you must know you've, I mean, do you know if, if you can get Pochine still well, you know, I'd hear of, uh, of it uh, being available in some places, but like whether that's true or not, I don't know. I genuinely don't know myself because I don't, I don't take, you know, I take a drink, but I don't take protein, obviously. But um, yeah. but I'm just saying it's very, very unfair to think okay. that a bag of turf would be categorised, among, okay. uh, you know, uh, as being a banned substance in this country, uh, unless you can dig it above in the field yourself and bring it down. For the love of God, most people, 10 or 12 bags of turf in the year would keep them going. Maybe twenty maximum, and that's all people want. That small bit of comfort, and if that's denied from the meal, there'll be a national outcry here in this country. All right, let me just jump in with some other calls. Actually, Paul, good morning. Good morning, mate. Did you want to pick all up right. on on our roads? Was it? Yeah, just a quick question. And you know, politicians are good for using percentages, and we spent so much money on this that, so we followed that train of thought, right? So, in relation to the motorized vehicles that have to pay a tax in the county of Cork, yeah. Right, there's X amount of cars, or X amount of taxable vehicles, which represents X amount of money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where does that balance out on what they've paid out on roadworks uh, in the county? Because those figures are there, right? They know what they've taken in. They know what they're spending. So where does it balance out? Well, are you trying to say that we don't get value from money for the road tax that we pay with regards to the roads that we're driving on? I, um, to answer that, not in a politician's way, when you get back the answers, 
it'll be very clear whether we're getting value for money or not. We're not getting value for money. I mean, you've driven on no, our roads. Not. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. Yeah. But I'd like this. You know, they're good at pumping out. They spend millions on this and percentage of this and whatever else. How much are they taking in on your car, my car, that chap's truck, whatever else, right? How much have they spent in 2016, 2020, whatever year? Well, I'm just, getting, ba- I'm just getting back to brass tacks that we have the Cork to Limerick motorway and we have the McCroom bypass and we have all of the work being done around Dunkettle and what have you. But the actual roads that everybody drives on time after time after time yes. are atrocious. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And in the roads as well, another slant, we're getting rid of roads. And what I mean by that, we're getting rid of lanes, Right. So people in Cork City have to be very aware of that. If you come over Cork, turn to Bridge, you're heading to the city hall, you turn left, all of a sudden there's not three lanes there anymore. There's only two. Okay, that's, that's for, for another day. Just on the, on the question yeah. you asked about how much we get. Uh, apparently, Cork County Council announced an allocation of $65 million for roads in the county uh, for 2022. $65 million. That's, no, an allocation doesn't mean it's spent. Well, no, it's what they've been given. It's the highest ever allocated to Cork, and it represents 13% of the total roads in the state. Uh, County right. Cork represents 13% of the roads in the state, apparently, uh, and we get, uh, we get 3% more this year than we did that last year, nearly 66 million. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Um, what do they take in? In road tax? Nowhere near that, I'd say. Yeah. Nowhere near it. But anyway, it seems like a substantial amount of money. God only knows what they're spending it on. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank okay, you you're much. welcome. Take care. Have a good day. Just one other quick one on this. Moss, are you talking about turf, is it? Yeah, that's okay. right. It seems to be the general topic at the moment in rural Ireland. And are you in rural Ireland? I am, yes. Okay. And do you I burn... Do you the wall in the County Kerry. Oh, in County Kerry. And do you burn turf? I do, yes. And where do you get it from? Is it delivered or you, do you cut it yourself? Well, I have a little bit of an operation, an old shabby machine, and I cut a little bit of stuff for myself and a few neighbours and that. And uh, we, we sort of have a little co-op. Right, okay. Where we all work together. Okay, yeah. what, will, what will happen when they ban it? It will be done on paper, because this time, I mean... Rural Ireland and the attacks on rural Ireland by people that do not understand it, uh, it will not happen this time. First of all, the rules and regulations regarding everything else, they cannot, they can't police that. And um, like Michael Collins said there, if um, and about, I can't imagine road checks or whatever, but if, if there are drugs being sold in every highway and byway, up and down every, every yeah. Warraheen, as we call them, yeah. and every town and village, and uh, that is, can't do nothing about that, how the hell is that supposed to go to police? Yeah. The bu- burning of turf. The well, maybe, of they turf, want, yeah. maybe they'll want people to be compliant themselves, where it'll be kind of, people will self-police. They might, they might even shop on their neighbours and pick up the phone on and, them. Kind of and therein lies the problem, and I have seen it. I know one elderly gentleman at the moment is trying to replenish every bit he has in the shed between coal and turf before the 1st of September. And he will be afraid and terrified to burn it. Because 
We still have a lot of the elder generation will say that between church and state, the fear is there, and they must comply. And they'll be compliant because they're of that generation because of fear. They yeah. will. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Now you- I got uh, I got actually if you don't mind when I have this on my note, and what could be the problem there? And I look at this man's set up and how he lives, and. What he will possibly go back to, and I have spoken with another retired doctor that told me this without asking, that there could be deaths from carbon monoxide poisoning in the coming winters. Why? And the reason being is people will be getting out the old super heater and even down back to the panopin heaters and all this. And to grant to say, if you give them carbon monoxide alarms and all that, but... Very often with uh, old age comes deafness. You're spot on. That That doctor is dead right, actually, because without any proper ventilation, if you're using a supersur in a a sealed house or whatever room, it would be be deadly. You're also, and and actually Michael Collins is saying that this announcement and this proposal couldn't happen at the worst time. We're probably heading into, he said, the worst recession we've ever seen. And people are pinned to their collar as it is without this. You were making the point also, finally, that if the USA and China don't comply with climate change and what have you, why in the name of God should people in Cork or indeed where you are in Kerry even comply at all? And even if we did, even if we did, the effect we would have is so minuscule, it's 0.3 of 1%. And because of the population of Ireland, and if everyone put it into a very small minority that are born in solid fuel, and uh, even if we did, it's not going to make any difference to the overall. And we actually have a unique argument where we should not comply, and we would have the right not to comply for our own self-preservation. And that would be because where we're situated on the planet, we're so far into the northern hemisphere. Uh, in the northern term of things, you would expect us to be covered in snow and ice like Greenland. And the but, reason we're not is because of the Gulf Stream. But you're, you and live the, in rural Ireland, just outside Listone. Yeah. Have you not noticed that the climate is changing gradually? That it's you just can't rely on the seasons anymore? Um... The one thing I would notice, like with, uh, with rainfall, we don't have the long, drizzly days and the, the smeary wet weather we used to have. Yeah, but it's milder Our, when it shouldn't be, and it's colder when it shouldn't be, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's grand. That's all good to say. But you see, there is a scientifically proven fact, and it, it is understood and known by scientists, but nobody is saying it in political circles, or the Greens are not saying it. The sun, which provides the heat for this planet, that also flares up at different times. And there is absolutely no rhythm or cycle or anything to it. You can flare up and we'll say you can have maybe a war, an exceptionally warm week, warm year, right. warm thousand years, whatever. Okay. You don't buy uh, into climate these, change then? It's just the normal cycle of things. Well, climate change is happening. We, I'm not denying that. But it, we, as far as man's effect on it, that's what I don't buy into. Okay, okay. I don't think that we have that much of an effect on the climate. There are natural forces at work other than man. Okay, all right. Moss, thank you yeah. for taking the call. Good luck, good luck to you all down your way. Just, Michael, just on that final point there, that people would go back to supersars and gas heaters and what have you, uh, and that could be, they're going to have tragic consequences, he's saying. 
he's certainly <clears throat> he's certainly he's right there. He's uh, he's 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 um, his views there are are one hundred percent correct. Unfortunately, we have that situation in in Ireland that people like to comply within the law and the rules, and that the fear of God is yet to be put into them. The last week or two, and and like the he said there, the people are burning off what they have. Yeah. There's a bit of cold, and there is no alternative. They plug in a heater. The heater doesn't heat the house the same as a fire an open fireplace does. They plug in the gas heater with a little bowl of water in front of it, and the fumes coming from it is shocking. It's a terrible, terrible situation. They put the, these people in, and the fear of God is put into people, and the government have to answer to people and answer what what are they going to do? So somebody in, in the first of September buys tin bags of turf from his neighbour, um, or from a distributor, or whatever. Is that person uh, going to be burning that turf illegally? And what's the fine? What is the government going to do? Are they going to re- come into their homes and look at what they're doing? Are they searching cars or vans or lorries? Mm. What? You know, you can't just come out and put the fear of God into people and, and walk away in with a, smile, a grim smile on your face and talk poetry and sing verses of songs or talk about verses of songs above the doll. That's not the way the real world works on the ground. And unfortunately, with the Green Party running the country as such with Fianna Fáil and Fianna allowing them to do so, that's what's happening at the present time. OK, thank you, Michael. As always, uh, Michael Collins, TD. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. And also, I don't want to let this one go, the state of our roads. Have you ever seen it so bad? Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Lots of texts on different topics. Certainly from yesterday, I was chatting about different things. And of course, the, the different teachers' unions are having their conferences at the moment. It gives them an opportunity to share life and how they're feeling and what work is like. I was talking about uh, pensions and the papers this morning say that we'll need to find nearly 300 million to satisfy the teachers' demands when it comes to um, their salaries increasing to fight inflation, which is increasing. And the teacher union is saying that they will fight tooth and nail for up to €6,000 salary boost to fight inflation. And one of the points I made yesterday uh, was just on that point with regards to uh, pension of uh, those in the public sector, including teachers, I would have said, uh, continuing to rise as inflation continues to rise. And one teacher said to me um, that they're a teacher and they never, ever got uh, any increase and they've seen no increase in their pension um, and that I should check my facts before I make statements like that. But I was basing it on a story that said that 200,000 public servants are benefiting from the surge in inflation because their pension pots are guaranteed to increase. Um, many families struggling with soaring prices uh, exacerbated by the energy crisis. But the public service pension pots are guaranteed to increase in value as inflation increases. Uh, and it would increase without limits. So there are the statistics you asked me to check, and they were found to be correct when I checked them. So appreciate your, your comment and your text, as always, but that's what I found. Uh, lots of texts and emails and different topics, including um, other issues in the workplace. Hope you're well. Just wanted to run something by you. The Mercy Hospital in Cork are recruiting clerical offers, officers now on a six-month contract, grade three. The job advert states you must have one year's clerical experience. Uh, I applied for the role. I have 17 years grade three hospital clerical administration experience. However, I got an email today advising me that I am not a good fit for the role. How come someone with 17 years experience is not a good fit for the role advertised? No wonder the health service is the way it is. A friend of mine working in the Mercy told me they do not usually employ males 
for any of their clerical roles. Ah, that's an interesting one. Why aren't people screaming and roaring about that? Is that what they mean when they say that you're not a good fit for the role? It's because you're a man, I wonder. Um, anyway, more on that, please. Text 0868104106. Don't give up my personal details, but myself and my partner have been renting for six years. The landlord, like many, now wants to sell the property. We have applied, because I have counted, for over 86 properties in Cork City and County. Of the 86, we've only gotten back to us one to say, thank you, it's been let. Thank you for your interest. We're currently facing eviction of nowhere to go. We were told by the homeless charities that we wouldn't get accommodation as we don't have kids. But we might get a few nights in a hostel. But that's it. After a few nights, they kick us out and make way for another family. We are not short of money. We just can't find somewhere to live. Does anyone know of anywhere going for rent soon? As we're getting nowhere. We both have good jobs. We're willing to pay one year's rent up front. Now, check that out. Imagine being so desperate you'd pay one year's rent up front. Sometimes we wondered, would we have been better off if we never worked, had a few kids, and maybe sponged off the state? Because in this country, it's always the working man that suffers. There's a lot to be said for people willing to go out to work, but yet can't put a roof over their heads. Any young person now should run from this country. The cost of rent and the cost of living is crazy. Many, like us, are just working to survive. Thank you for that email. I'm astonished that you are in a position to say that you would pay one year rent up front. But I can understand it because you're that desperate to find somewhere to live. As to, you know, know, having kids and sponging off the state, not everybody who, you know, can't work or doesn't work is sponging off the state. Uh, Many of them would find themselves in situations where they need state intervention. But there was a video doing the rounds there last week where there was a builder in a digger. Did anybody see that? And he was digging, you know, whatever they do on building sites. And there was two different sections of the building site being built. There was a terrace of houses on the right. There was a terrace of houses on the left. And he's sitting in the digger and he was videoing the two of them. And he said, on the right are private Uh, And he said, you wouldn't be able to afford those even with, I think he said, a 400,000 euro mortgage. And then he panned around the video in his digger to the other block that were being built. Uh, And he said, these ones, exactly the same houses, exactly the same spec, would be rented um, to by the public authority to families whose rent will be 28 euro a week, he said. And then he made the point, there's something radically wrong in this country. Text 0868104106. To the phone lines we go. Keith, good morning. Morning, Nate. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate the text. What's on your mind? Um, well, you're just going on about the, the, the heating and stuff like that there with, 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 with um, houses and stuff and the, the government going on about taxing and bringing in regulations with, with, with carbon emissions and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I tough, mean, yeah, yeah. Like, the government, the government need to realise, Neil, that a lot of the houses in Ireland are built pre um, their so-called burr rating um, specifications and stuff, but you know, most houses in, in, in rural Ireland, certainly, and um, in the cities, they would have several fireplaces in, 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 in the houses and stuff. Maybe but they have many fireplaces there. going at the one time, do you think? Well, that's the thing. I mean, they, they were built to keep the houses warm and to keep mould and mildew out of the house and, and you know, keep keep the house in, in a homely kind of um, a setting and that. And now we're being told, oh, you can't burn turf, you can't burn to- coal, the price of gas is extortionate. It's, it, it's, 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 it's a knock-on for everyone and, you know, it's just annoying for... 
to be listening that the, the government are all about taxation, taxation, taxation. There's nothing about representation. They go up to the pulpit there and they tell us, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And there's nothing... There's nothing for yeah. Here's two hundred euro off your here's two hundred euro off your electricity bill. Oh, and by the way, to all of you in rural Ireland, we're coming for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you'd look at that two hundred euro there with the young family there trying to put kids through school, crashes and stuff like that. I mean, that wouldn't buy a biscuit box for the for, um, for the kitchen you, and you sell it every month. You can't made. get a crash place. I'm told. Exactly. Just exactly. Forget about yeah. it. You just if you're yeah. looking for a crash space in September. You'll be whistling, I'm told. But isn't the timing of this incredible? You know, at a time when fuel costs go through the roof. Okay, we're coming out of winter now. But come next September, it's going to be as bad or a hell of a lot worse going into the next winter. And what do they announce? Oh, by the way, we're going to ban turf. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, the beer will bite hard when that cold session kicks in next year or the end of this year and stuff. And, you know, the majority of people, Neil, in the country are, are elderly people. Well, I will say above a certain age and that's like the youngsters can stay warm with a lot of body that, heat. And yeah, stuff and a lot of younger but, people are out and about and they're going to work and they're socialising. The elderly generation spend a lot more time at home. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, you'd look at this nation, it's built around the elderly people and we should, we have an onus to look after them. Whatever about looking after ourselves, like we should have some kind of a, a, a government institution where it looks after the elderly people. Number one, give them their give them their their heating bills and you know bring their bring their homes up to a certain energy rating and stuff. Which in tow, it's it's a government specification gotcha. now yeah. to say that your house has to be up to a certain. You have spec. to have I mean, the government are implement- yeah, 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 they're implementing all these rules and measures. Where are the people going to get the money to implement these? Like the grant system even for, for bringing old homes up to a certain spec. I mean, they're giving them to only a majority of the people and you look at per person, per capital, and you do the statistics on the houses and stuff and you do your energy rating on the houses. 99% of the houses, Neil, are below the energy rating that is required to bring them up to But aren't there grants now for that, standard. I'm told? Aren't there substantial There grants? is, yeah, but they're, they're, they're dwindling away. I mean, there's a, grant, there's a grant for TDs giving themselves rises as well, and we're not getting any kickback off them. Okay, interesting. You, know you make I mean? a point there where you say um, taxation without representation. They were saying that 200 exactly. years ago, you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think that's a famous thing in the States, isn't it? Uh, no taxation without representation. Yeah. I think it came from, was it Boston or... Thereabouts is it? Uh, what's your man's name? Oh, Scott Keys is it? If I'm right, my memory serves no me right. No taxation without representation. Without representation, so yeah, nobody's yeah. listening. But it's, nobody's listening. No, no, ab- absolutely not. And I mean, we all need to get together, Neil. Rally round. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. With w- w- what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in in Palestine, what's going on in our own country. Like, we need to get together and start saying right. The government need to listen to us. We need to implement things. We need to get money. We need to get bread on the tables. And we need to look after the people that are really, really in need. Not to be, Does that not include you know, refugees, though? Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay, okay, okay. 100%. I'm, I'm with them 100%. But at the same time, Neil, we need to start looking at our own situations as well as the refugees and say, look, there needs to be a happy medium. People need to get an equal crack at the whip here and it's not you know I'm not saying that it is all one sided but the government certainly need to be looking at the elderly people and saying look and even people trying to get houses well they can find a hundred million they can find a hundred million budget for refugees for hotels and bed and breakfasts and um, access to social welfare and you know medical cards and stuff like that but others are wondering what about the people who are here 
for generations and generations. I understand that. All right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There All you right, go. Keith. Thanks a lot, my friend. Back after 10, text 0868 I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. With a 500 euro tab behind the counter at the yard at the castle in Glanmire. And it could well be all yours if you can tell me how you'd spend it, who you'd invite and what kind of, uh, you know, if, you know what's the what's the event that you choose to celebrate? It might be a match. It might be a get-together with friends you haven't seen in a long time. It might be a 21st, a 40th, a 50th, a 60th. It could be a christening. It could be anything like that. So the yard at the Castle in Glanmire, a perfect place for you to get together with family or friends. Um, and we have 500 euro behind the bar for food and drinks. 500 euro. And I've been asking people to text or WhatsApp uh, what they would do with the money and the event. I treat every one of my friends and family from Glanmire um, to a nice day out. I used to live there, but recently moved west. I'd love to go back for a catch-up. Uh, I would. I would love to win the five hundred euro bar tab. I'd use it to celebrate my engagement. Got engaged during the height of the pandemic. Another one. Uh, we have a busy year this year with regards to birthdays: twenty first, fiftieth, eighteenth, and fortieth. Says Rachel down in Yall. My brother's expecting a baby. He's turning thirty, so it would be a great double celebration. Uh, another one, I bring all the workers from ACE facilities who work down in Trebolgan to the castle. We're here all day, uh, every day, cleaning houses, and we deserve a work night out. We work our backsides off and would love to have a laugh, a few drinks and food, and chill out at the castle, says Courtney. Uh, I'd love the 500 year voucher for my mom, who's turning 50 in June. It would be lovely to give something back to her. She always does everything for us, and we rarely get together as a family. She's the best woman I know. It'd be nice to be able to do this for her. I'd love it for my wonderful ma'am, who's the best in the world, looking after me and my brothers and sisters, keeps the family together. I would use the 500 to celebrate my 30th in May. It's also my father's 70th in July. It would be lovely to celebrate the good things in life. And one more, I would like to win the 500 for my sister and her soon-to-be husband. They could put it towards day two of their wedding, which would be, uh, which is in the castle in Glanmire. You see, it's the local. They're getting married in September and their son turns, turns one the same day, says Sarah. So that's just a selection. Keep those coming, those texts, by text or WhatsApp to 86 And thank you. Uh, to everybody who gets involved. We'll be picking that winner on Friday, incidentally. So you got a day or two yet uh, before we actually announce a winner on it. Interesting text here from Billy M, who loves to wax lyrical with me. With taxes, inflation and the state of the road, I watch my bank balance slowly erode. Electricity and fuel gets higher and higher. And now a fine for turf on a fire? He's a talented guy, I can tell you. Back to the phone lines we go. Uh, well, Annette should have been there, but I don't think she is now, unless she's on a different phone line. Come back to her in a few minutes' time. From yesterday's program, a uh, selection of texts on the injection centre. The proposed injection... Okay, I think she's on two now, so I'll stay with this. Annette, good morning. No, she's not there. I'll come back to her in a minute. Uh, on the injection centre, a selection of texts from yesterday. Instead of feeding the addiction, it would be far more beneficial to have more money for recovery centres and for aftercare rather than feeding addictions in an injection centre. These lads who are proposing this are away with the fairies. This is just a way of hiding the real problem, not dealing with it. It's typical. I feel so sorry for anyone addicted because their issues 
and their addictions are not being addressed. That's an interesting perspective. Let me put it to the Lord Mayor, Councillor Colm Kelleher. Colm, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Isn't that interesting? And in fact, Katrina Toomey is saying it as well in the Echo, that while she wouldn't be against an injection centre in itself, it doesn't go far enough to help people. All you're allowing them to do is to safely inject heroin. Look, this supervised injection facility is essentially a clean, safe healthcare environment where people could inject drugs obtained elsewhere, that they are obtaining elsewhere at the moment and taking um, down back alleys, in public or streets. But I would agree with um, Katrina Tooke's um, assessment that essentially, you know, this isn't the be-all and end-all. It isn't the, you know, wave a magic wand and we have a supervised injection centre and that's our heroin problem in the city sorted. Yeah, so what will be done about that? Because you are applying for funding for an injection centre, but not for rehab places or rehab centres to be built. No, that's not entirely true. Well, Cork City Council is constantly working in conjunction with the HSE and with David Lane, um, who is the senior um, the senior executive coordinator for uh, Cork and Kerry. Um, we're constantly looking for funding for addiction services in the city for additional uh, treatment centres. Um, and that work is going on behind the scenes morning, noon and night. Um, and in fairness to, you know, the community forum we have here in Cork City Council, members of Angardi, the HSC, um, Simon Community, the Addiction Services in the City, Cork City Council, elected members of Cork City Council, we're all working on that in the background to secure funding through the Cork Local Drug Area Task Force. But what I'm looking for and what I've written to the Minister for is a request for funding um, which um, is in the tune of approximately 1.25 to 1.5 million per annum to effectively um, implement uh, what, what are known nas- internationally as SIPs, uh, Supervised Injection Facility. Okay. Now, the, the, the main, um, I suppose, direction or ethos of, of the SIF is to reduce drug-related overdose deaths. It's about saving lives. Like, I came into City Hall very early this morning because I, I, I had early meetings, and I was having a cup of tea looking out the window in the Lord Mayor's office, and there was a poor soul injecting heroin straight across from City Hall at about half seven in the morning. Oh, my so God. So it, it is out in the public. And that's nothing it's, extraordinary anymore now, unfortunately. No, no, no. And children not. are coming across the, the dirty needles and the paraphernalia of drugs as they go about... Uh, the streets and suburbs and housing estates of Cork. Completely, completely. And look, like a supervised injection centre isn't the, as I said, and I'd agree with Katrina Toomey again, I'd reiterate, it's not the be-all and end-all. This has to be part of, you know, a, a bigger jigsaw. But I do believe this is a major part of the jigsaw that we are missing. Like plans went ahead in Dublin um, and they met objections from, uh, in, a, in the process of a planning application. But I was speaking with colleagues in Dublin as recently as yesterday and they are moving forward with their supervised injection centre and uh, to use a phrase, a quote, a phrase from a colleague on Dublin City Council yesterday, um, this should happen and will happen. And what isn't the case of Cork getting out ahead of... Where? You know? Where? um, Where where what? Where 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 will the injection centre be placed? In Cork, is it? Yeah. Well, that's a matter for the HSE to decide. Now, I would consider, and I've been listening to um, a few people speaking the airways yesterday and today, and even speaking to people in City Hall this morning, it dis- I believe it would be quite disingenuous to say, you know, not in my neighbourhood, not in my, not next to my house. And I don't believe that any of your listeners um, would, you know, want something like this on their doorstep. That's not what we're suggesting by any stretch of the imagination. This would be a supervised healthcare 
setting in more than likely what I would be hoping for would be a medical campus on, under the guise of the HSC. Well, I mean, I addressed that with Ken O'Flynn yesterday and I, I asked him why it wouldn't be on a HSC facility. He was more inclined to be talking about several different suggestions in Cork suburbs. Well, initially when this was rolled out in Holland, it went into a medical campus um, in a university, I believe. Um, and after that, they uh, basically, you used a barometer, a barometric meter, if you can call it that, um, to see the reduction in one drug litter around the place. Yeah, I was listening to your, your show yesterday, Neil, there was a woman saying that she had her, a two or three-year-old daughter picking up the dirty needle in the side of the road. Yeah, so the needle exchange program has failed if they're seeing these things on the street. You see, the, 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 the key thing here is to save lives, Nate. And I, I'm listening to people saying that, look, this will only funnel the amount of uh, people with addiction, um, heroin addiction in this instance, into one area. Um, no, that would be true. It would be bringing it into one area. But the main objective of these facilities, and they've been proven successful in Europe, in Canada, and there's significant evidence gathered from the facilities of their benefits to the, wide, to the people who use the drugs and the wider society. Okay. But as I said, you need a part of a, a, a broader jigsaw. We need more investment in mental health services. We need more investment in addiction services. We need more investment in treatment services, coping skills. This isn't pretending to fix the problem by just putting a, a, an injection center and that's it, where we go. But at the moment, the approach we have isn't working. Because as I said, like, out of sight, out of mind. And that poor soul that was across from, you know, our, our, our civic building in the city this, at half seven this morning, and he was effectively, I've no doubt that he wasn't trying to, to get high. He was probably just taking it so he wouldn't feel sick today and he could go about his day. And that's, that's the, the torture that people find themselves in. You've been quoted recently and in the past that you're speaking from personal experience. You've spoken several times and reading actually thing from the Echo recently where you said you spoke several times in the past regarding your own brother's experience as a recovering heroin addict. Can I ask you, how is he doing? He's doing very well, thank God, touch wood. Um, every day is obviously a battle for any person uh, recovering from addiction as they say they'll t- take it one day at a time um, and like everyone who suffers from addiction I believe you know my brother's journey is he's at the tail end of it but unfortunately addicts never finish their journey it's a constant battle every single day when I count we count our blessings every day as a family need he's good touch wood did he get into a rehabilitation facility he did he did um, he was locally with services here in Cork City Fantastic. and um, yeah. He, went to, he went to Limerick. And, he, he, and like, look, uh, next week uh, I'm doing the 100th uh, podcast of the two Norries. I've invited them in here to City Hall. And you know, um, you know, uh, Timmy and James, yeah. um, they've suffered with addiction and, they, and, and they've spoken out on it. The, the addiction for years, Neil, in this country was a taboo subject and particularly heroin addiction. Um, and everything was kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind, behind closed doors. And we know as a society uh, what went on behind closed doors to our country over the last hundred years. It's a dark, dark place to be in. And it's only now as a society that we're progressing out of it, and rightly so. Okay. And what Timmy, what Timmy and James said, and I agree with him 100%, is we need, I personally uh, believe, and this is way, way down the tracks, legislation needs to be brought forward by central government to decriminalise um, uh, personal use uh, of drugs and treated as a medical condition like they've done in Portugal. I'm by no means saying you know, decriminalise drugs because obviously the, the drug cartels of the, of the world work... So what, you, what are you proposing about decriminalising what drugs? 
decriminalizing the drugs that uh, is in, in particular that people would be addicted to that need to survive on a daily basis if they were caught with it rather than a small amount for that like that individual across from city hall this morning obviously taking his fix so he wouldn't be sick for the rest of the day if he was caught by a member from garda shea as it stands under the current legislation at the moment he would have been arrested he would have been brought into the bridewell or angus street and would have caught someone's would have been issued whereas the approach as directed by uh, the hse and what they're lobbying for and what is being spoken about by medical researchers the world over. But so that would lead, that, that would lead to total chaos because everybody in the line of defence in a court case would be saying I'm addicted to it, it's a medical need. Not necessarily. There would be a, a certain few that will abuse it, but I do believe the majority of these people once they engage with the services, um, they have the services do have a fairly strong success rate. Another elephant in the room here, Neil, is the fact that clean needles, a clean needle, even a clean needle exchange, not even a supervised injection centre, but a, um, a successful clean needle exchange reduces uh, infections by up to seventy. Uh, okay, but just on that, just on that point, actually, if because we do have a needle exchange as it is, where you go back and you. You bring back the used ones and you get fresh batches. But yet all of the streets and lanes and alleyways and housing estates and green areas and parks are, are littered with needles and, and drug paraphernalia. So if the addicts don't bring them back to exchange them, are, are we really expecting them to traipse long distances um, to uh, a facility in a hospital to safely inject heroin? You see, the key thing here is our needle exchange in the city has actually proved to be very, very successful. But you have to understand the epidemic we're dealing with is growing by the day. And there would be a lot of addicts that would be maybe in the the onset of their addiction at the early stages of their addiction. And they've started using and they're so, you know, out of their minds of the substance that they're abusing that the inevitable result is it is discarded on on the ground and it ends up in the public realm and drug litter becomes a hazard for the public. But you know that that litter, just addressing that point, alone. Is it a case that if, if an addict goes to a chemist or a pharmacy to get methadone or to get new kit, that they wouldn't be given it unless they bring back used kit? Look, you, you in, in an ideal world, yes, it's case like you, would, you, you could use the, the equation of you go get the drum gas long ago, you have to bring back the... Yeah, does that exist for drug like paraphernalia? That, that, that would be something that, you know, individual pharmacies would have to look at. And I'd actually, I'd actually agree with you 100%. I think that would be a great idea. But, like, the, the SIF that was launched, or the supervised injection facility that was launched in Copenhagen um, a number of years ago, you, you mentioned people, you know, suffering from addiction traps in across the city to a medical campus. Would they do it? The SIF facility in Copenhagen actually provided um, effectively what was like a local link, a bus that went around in the morning and collected them. Gotcha. The thing about it is when you go in there to use uh, and, and feed your addiction, you have doctors on site, you have psychiatrists on site, you have guidance counsellors on site, you have drugs counsellors on site. And the main ethos of any supervised injection centre, Neil, is to get the individual to realise that they have a problem, they, there's help at hand, and this is what we can do. We can send you to this treatment centre, we can give you this support, we can guide you here, we can guide you there, we can get, take you off heroin, put you onto methadone, and, and, and the process begins. Because a lot of people um, who, who do abuse the substance and have become heavily dependent on this substance feel at, cer- at certain points that there's no one wants to t- see them no it's out of sight out of mind you know people cross the roads when they when they see these people um i was in the city d- during the night um last sunday on my way to the vigil for uh, those two gentlemen that were brutally murdered up the country um and i saw a, a poor individual defecating um by um the top of uh, the south mall 
and that poor individual was probably out of his mind and I just thought to myself that's some mother's son yeah. and you know that, that that mother could be anywhere in the city now thinking where's, where, where, where's my beautiful little boy that I brought into this world correct yeah correct you know yeah. um, and when, that's what we're, we're dealing with people's lives what are you saying so if somebody goes to an inject the injection centre then uh, they would be met by medical personnel and will they be offered a place in rehab when they go in there the main ethos of any supervised injection facility is to get that individual off the substance they're abusing. No, but I'm, I'm asking a direct question. Is there a rehab place for everybody that goes into an, the injection centre? Will they get a bed somewhere? Will they get the treatment that they need in a medical facility to, to, to get them off heroin? In the world, yes, that would be the situation. But it isn't. But you know very well there, it isn't the case at the moment, though. That isn't the case at the moment. So, you, But you are applying for 1.5 million for an injection centre, but nobody is applying for any money for more rehab beds? No, that's not true. How that's much the then? How much? We know it's the figure for the injection centre, 1.5 million. That's constantly under review with the Cork local. How much? I don't have that figure to hand, to be quite honest. So we don't know how much money has been applied for for rehab places, but we do know how much money has been applied for for an injection centre. Would you the likes of Tabor Lodge now and the likes of Coon Vera, which would be state-aided, privately-run rehabilitation centres, they'd be applying for uh, funding, working in conjunction with Cork City Council and Cork County Council and David Lane in the HSC morning, noon and night. There's various amounts of funding being uh, applied for across the city and county on a daily basis. If you were to put an estimate on it, Neil, it'd be in the tens of millions. And that's just for the likes of um, treatment centres, uh, you know, programmes and stuff like that. But they're all individually wrong. And I, I actually think that that's a flaw in the system in itself that we have individual uh, uh, companies providing wonders true state aid providing this assistance i personally believe the state should provide us as a whole okay. completely okay um, so the so so you you are saying that this is about saving people's lives who are now dying down back alleys from dirty needle needles or getting severe infections from dirty needles this out-of-sight mantra has to change and we need to work with them. And that's what this centre is about. But I've been talking about this for well over a decade or longer. When is it actually going to happen? Well, that's, that's, that's how long is a piece of string. I've written to the Minister now, I've yet to receive a reply from the Minister's office. I know that Dublin are pushing forward with their uh, proposal. They have hit stumbling blocks. Um, I don't have an answer to that. I would hope sooner rather than later. What would be a typical stumbling block that Dublin has come across? Dublin came across a stumbling block that they didn't uh, initially propose to put it in the medical campus. It was an outside uh, medical campus planning application that went before Dublin City Council and locals within the area said, we don't want this. Would you blame them? You know, I can completely understand that. Let's call a spade a spade here. Why I'm proposing that we should be putting the one that we would apply for on a medical... It's in a hospital setting already. Like, the main risk, the main need of this um, is to connect the most vulnerable, the most marginalised people okay. who use folks in our society with treatment and with other health and social services. Okay, but expect a backlash if it's in a local community though, yeah? You're prepared for that? Well, I wouldn't expect it to be in a local community, uh, community to be quite honest with you. I, I, I would hope and I've spoken with colleagues in the HSC and as I said, members of the Garda Sheikhala, Cork City Council, the Cork Local Drug Area Task Force, we're all singing off the same hymn sheet nearly here. It needs to go to a hospital setting um, and, you know, that's the best fit place for this care to, to be provided. Okay. Uh, like it's the ones that are primarily in, in Australia are all in hospital settings and similar situation in Canada. Okay, thank you for taking the time. Lord Mayor of Cork, uh, Colm Kelleher, text over 0868104106. Some texts on this. Over 10 years ago when I was in Australia, I was walking home on a night out. I was very drunk, went for a wee on the side of the road. The Australian police picked me up, put me in a cell for the night. 
You'd want to murder someone in the city to be put in a cell. Now, that doesn't directly associate with the injection centre, but it does with regards to lawlessness in the city. Does Ken O'Flynn know, and this is from yesterday, that people being arrested for videoing the Gardaí on their phones, uh, taken to a Garda station and given a caution and released? This is feeding into the public order arrest figures as well. Do you know how many arrests are actually dealt with by caution? Well, you shouldn't be filming the Gardaí as they're going about their business anyway. It's intimidating. It's aggressive. Putting methadone centres in hospital campus settings is a disaster. Look at St. James Hospital in Dublin. It's full of junkies lurking around all day and all night. Old people not feeling safe and cars and property being damaged and stolen. The old prison in the Rathmore Road is where I'd put it. Most of them know where that is anyway, says Billy. Um, I would support a zero tolerance to drug use, all drug use in, in Cork. Uh, it costs 100000 a year to keep a person in prison. 30000 I heard you say, on the air to keep them in rehab. Why can't the government see the logic in rehab? As long as there are so many solicitors defending these characters on our streets because of free legal aid, this will never stop. This is to do with the lawlessness we were talking yesterday. Hit the parents in the pocket and you'll see change overnight. Uh, would Ken O'Flynn be open to an injection centre next door to him? Why does it always have to be put in the north side? Well, nobody's suggesting that it would. For God's sake, Neil, they're taking drugs and then when they're coming down, they have to commit crimes to make more money to get more drugs. Keep them away from the north side, south side, anywhere. Just look at the state of the city over them. People are terrified to go to town now in case they get robbed. To the phone lines, Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How Thank you, you for holding. You wanted to pick up on a couple of points there, was it? Certainly you, you made an interesting one with regards to the needle exchange programme. Yeah, a total abject failure. I mean, that's obvious, you know. I mean, you hit me off at the past because you said it yourself. Yeah. If the needle exchange programme was a success, we wouldn't see why the is there the all this stuff around the streets? Yeah. 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 And before that then, we had the methadone programme, and we know people who were on methadone Methadone was supposed to be used to stop withdrawal symptoms and make it easier to come off of heroin, which is very difficult to come off of. And we know of people who were on it a decade or more, and it was supposed to be a temporary measure. And we know of people who were on methadone and heroin. So I don't think an injection centre, and I was absolutely shocked at the Lord Mayor saying there he decriminalized drugs. Well, what he was saying was he would decriminalize it to those who are addicted and in need of medical intervention, that they wouldn't be prosecuted because of it. But where is the medical intervention? What would happen? I think it's all about aesthetics, you see. They just want to keep it off the streets. They're not really helping the person that's an addict, and I don't like that term junkie. No, that's exactly that's, what Katrina Toomey is saying. She said the very that's same somebody's thing. somebody's child, that's somebody's mother, son, father, brother uncle and I don't like the term junkie these people have a serious addiction they need help all an injection centre is going to do is enable a person what happens that's fine oh there's going to be medical there will be there will be there will be upwards of 20 to 25 highly trained staff on site come on that's got to be good not on its own I get you with rehab but at least that's that's fantastic inside in the medical centre inside the injection centre. But what happens out in the street when they have to buy the next lot? And when they go home to their families? What happens then? That's fine. That's called enabling. That'd be like telling an alcoholic to go in for treatment for alcoholism. Come in with a bag of cans and we'll give you a clean glass 
and we'll get a few, a few professionals to talk to. But that did happen. I, I recall 20-odd years ago they were talking about uh, a wet house on the Coburg Street, Leitrim Street area where people... We weren't talking about heroin back then. It was literally a place where you could go and safely drink. I don't know. Did it oh, ever... there was one in Limerick. I saw the one in Limerick and it was like... It was just absolutely... You would be shocked. Shocked. Did the Cork one ever What's take this? off, though? There was a lot of... There was a lot of pushback from the local community. I recall that. I don't know. Did it get shelved? I don't think it did. It was somewhere around the old blood bank, you know. Well, if methadone, did, if the methadone program didn't work, and the needle exchange program didn't work, I don't see how this is going to work. It's called enabling. You don't help a person by encouraging their addiction. You try to get them off it. You don't make it more comfortable for them to take it. And as I said, they'll still have to come out. And they'll still have to find money and they'll still have to deal with dealers and get their next fix. And they can't help that. That's their addiction. Can I ask and you they'll a... still have to go home to their families who will be in bits. And so many homes and so many lives have been destroyed. I've had personal experience of it myself as well. So I'm not talking Can I ask you to about my that? backside. Can I ask you about your brother? I've spoken to you about it yeah, before. Yeah, I came that... home and found my brother dead from yeah, an for overdose. The, for those that may not have heard that conversation... Um, your brother, yeah. your brother was a heroin addict. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. In spite of a lot of intervention from the family, he couldn't get clean. No, no, he tried. He tried many of the time, and he was getting methadone as well. And no, I just woke up one Sunday morning and just got out of bed. And I'd make him a cup of tea in the morning and people know people on heroin, they spend half the time asleep or dozy. And I just got a bad feeling and I went down, I made a cup of tea, came up to the bedroom and I found a corpse leaned over the edge of the bed. How old was he? He was 40, 44. And did he struggle for a long, long period of his life? I suppose it was about... Hmm, Maybe six, seven years, but he had a lot of personal tragedies that I can't. That's his that's own business. Fine, that I understand I can't go that. Into. Yeah, yeah. But it, and he well, was just in the people say, "Well, nobody, everyone should know if you stick a needle into your arm, what's going to happen?" But you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and unfortunately for him, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time at a very low ebb. And once you start that stuff. So that's why I hate the term. Would you have had the best of intentions to stop? And he would. Would you have a conversation with him? We were saying, "I'm going to get clean. I'm going to beat this." And he would be a trier. Oh, he tried. He tried. He tried. Yeah. I will give him that. But it's just, I don't know. I really don't think. I really do not think you cannot help a person by enabling them, and that's but. They'll tell you anyone with an addiction. You don't enable them. And an an injection centre is just going to enable people. But the consequences, that's fine inside the injection centre. But the consequences outside for the families, for the relatives, for the general public, when they come back out and they need to get the next fix, is just absolutely insane. And when I heard the Lord Mayor saying about decriminalising drugs, I thought, I was thinking back to Aon O'Reardon a couple of years ago before the Labour Party were wiped off the planet. He wanted to legalise all drugs. The Lord Mayor wasn't quite saying that. I mean, I I did kind of, you know, almost gasp when he said it, but when he clarified it, it wasn't decriminalising all drugs for use wherever you want for personal consumption. I mean, there's a thin line. You know yourself. 
in this country, you decriminalize something, and before you know it, six months, 12 months down the line... There's chaos. Now, let's legalize it. Yeah. And before you know it, it'll be Amsterdam. And we'll have... And I don't like comparing ourselves to Holland or Amsterdam or Copenhagen. I don't want women sitting out in the windows downtown on Patrick Street. Yeah. Yeah. or Oliver Plunkett Street I don't think we have we have to stop comparing ourselves to Barcelona well, Could you just hold on there if you don't mind because Paul lived and worked near Sydney's injection centre Paul good morning Hi Neil how are things? Good can you tell us about Sydney's injection centre? Yeah Sydney the, the injection centre opened up in for people who are not too familiar with, with King's Cross in Sydney it's, it's near the city centre to be like Close to like say Douglas to Cork City, it's 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 a seedy part of Sydney, but it was a horrible place for heroin. So in and it was a bit controversial like it is here, um, but they eventually the government opened up. Uh, I think it was two thousand and one. I was doing a bit of research there earlier. In two thousand and one, okay. So they opened an injection centre in the seediest part of town in Sydney, where yeah. where there was a propensity for people to go to that part of town to inject and to take drugs. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like it's, it's Kings Cross is basically like like the nightclub district, the red light district. It's. it's very, very seedy part. Okay, so they found the seediest part of Sydney to open it. And how did yeah. it go? How did it work out? It worked out brilliantly. Like, the, the amount of needles you saw on the streets disappeared overnight. They went in there, they they got um, rehab, there was nurses, doctors to go, look, I can, I can help you out here. Now, it didn't help everybody naturally. Some people just went back to their old habits. But it did help out a lot, a lot of people. And it helped out the streets. That's the thing, like the needles that were on the street almost disappeared overnight. Okay, okay. And uh, and was there much pushback initially to this proposed injection centre? Were people on unha- There wasn't really... There's not a lot of people living around there. Okay. Like it, 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 it's more of a kind of entertainment district. So there was a little bit, but but not too much. But the government just went ahead and did it anyway. And so the key to it was finding the good, the proper location, the perfect location. The perfect location, like the, what I'd compare it to now would be doing it, say, somewhere around, somewhere around Cork City, where there's not a whole lot of apartments, or but you have to do what I say close enough to a hospital. But Neil, could I get back in there? Yeah. No, no, I mean, how can you argue with that? He said overnight, Anthony, he said, that within very short space of time. again, we're comparing ourselves to another country. What's the policing like in Australia, the policing levels? And what's the... you know, their budget towards... No, he's saying that addicts turned up. Like addicts turned up. They got intervention. They got help. They got advice. And for an addict, just to find that somebody's actually listening and taking an interest in them, that must have been a huge boost to their confidence as well. So, like, it's Well, that's like saying so to an alcoholic. Do you know, the best way I can help you is to listen to you and you can come in and just swig away, have your slab of cans, have your bottle of vodka, and I listen to you. That's helping. No, it, 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 it's, it's not like that. Like what it was, it was to protect the community because there was less needles. You don't help street. anyone by making it more comfortable to take a substance that's destroying. I know, I know, what I know I what you're saying. It took, but it took most of the needles off the streets. 
But the, it didn't made, really help the person. You said it didn't help he everybody. He did say it did. He said they it also did, got it rehab. Did. It yeah. did. They were able to get rehab. They were able to get free rehab from the government. And, yeah, and but you see, there's no the free rehab here. That's the difference. Well, maybe that's what the government should do. You know, that's right. what I'm saying. I agree with you completely. And that's there. the point that's that was being can... made to the Lord Mayor by myself and other texts. You can't yeah. have one without the other. But in the Sydney model, they had both. Yeah, and both, we have yeah, to stop yeah, comparing yeah. ourselves okay. to other countries okay. because it's a different sort of no, mindset you, and it's a different budget. No, you can't have that population. kind of blinkered view on the world. You have to look around to see how other people did things. You have to take advice. Yeah, exactly. and, you, know, you have to, like, otherwise you're just, you're just flying in the dark. You know, well... How, how did others know. do it and make it successful? Because ultimately, that's all we want. We want to help the addicts. We want to keep the, the citizens safe. And we want our streets to be clean of needles. We all have the same agenda. Well, they said about that. I mean, you get people that will give you statistics about Barcelona or the arrest for drugs for, um, we'd say, cannabis or whatever. The arrest rate has gone down. Of course it's gone down because it's been decriminalised. I mean, what else is going to happen? Of course the figures are gone yeah, down. I guess we're talking I mean, you own. can play with stats any way you like. Let me get, uh, let me get uh, some more calls on this. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Anthony. Ash, good morning. Good morning. How are we? Good. Uh, where are you on this discussion? Pro or anti? I am pro injection centres. On on its on it yeah just make your point on its own just an injection centre to go and use your heroin indoors safely. Um, no, that'll be kind of them doing like a, a kind of a half job, kind of. As we'd say, half-assed. Yeah. Half-assed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, we need like medical staff there, safe ways to dispose the needles, and a chance to to receive counselling if they feel they need it. Mm. And you, I'm sure there's plenty who are ready to come off of drugs, but they just don't have the support or the... They don't know where to start. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. At least they have somewhere to go now to meet the professionals who can help them on the journey. Up until then, they're in alleyways and laneways and public parks. Exactly. Yeah. And that just increases the risk of, you know, overdoses, transmitting illnesses through the sharing needles. Good point. Well made. Thank you for that, Ash. Thank you, Ash. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Anthony. Morning. Why doesn't the government build penny dinners, a new two or three story building and incorporate the new injection clinic there? Uh, another one. The war on drugs was never taken on properly here. And the rise of the Kinahan Empire has proved that. And now the Yanks have taken them on. How do all these dealers get in and out of Spain when passports are needed? Thugs need to be kept off the streets when arrested, not out on bail with small amounts of cash asked for. The nonsense of allowing young teenagers to roam free, causing trouble. Um, and the same old story that they're too young to prosecute. It's unbelievable. Morning, will the junkies use, and Anthony says he doesn't like the use of the word junkies, will they use injection centres? Will they be on a waiting list? Or is the injection centre something the HSE can actually operate efficiently? Whereas everything else to do with the HSE involves waiting lists. Narcotics were once legal. We outlawed them for a reason. Uh, look at the history of legal drugs use before legalizing narcotics again, says Paddy. Morning, I lived in Amsterdam in the 80s and early 90s and a mobile methadone bus was provided for heroin users to visit and inject and get clean needles and methadone. Providing a service like this in Cork would solve the solution and the NIMBYs who object to a centre in their area. 
It would also provide accurate data about heroin users in the city and help those users get into rehab. I would say Cork is bad now with users, says Steve, talking about um, what he said was a mobile methadone bus provided for heroin users rather than a physical building. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818104106. Red FM. Yeah, a lot of people picking up on the Lord May saying that he would decriminalize uh, drug use for addicts. There was a drug dealer selling drugs at the back of the Sacred Heart Church on Western Road Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. He was flat out with the queue going into the bushes just off the walkway. One fella who was stoned, asked me, was I dealing? I rang Anglesey Street and was told, come in and make a statement of what I saw. What a load of bull. The city is a total dump, says Mick. So two o'clock Saturday afternoon, the back of the Sacred Heart Church out the Western Road with a dealer there, flat out busy with a queue waiting to be served. Text 0868104106. Morris, good morning. Morning, Neil. Is everybody kind of very touchy-feely that they might pick the old orthopaedic St. Mary's as a location for it? No, like, I, I tried in 2018 to get information from David Lane under FOI. He's in charge of the, the HSE, yeah. uh, Kelly South, yeah. and uh, I, I got absolutely nothing because he gave an interview to one English from the examiner at the time, said they, they've identified suitable locations for the, 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 the injecting centre. And, and you asked what you asked what are they? Is it? I asked what, what, what were the locations that were considered. Now in the same interview, he gave a fairly detailed uh, response to an English that they have identified centres that they've had at meetings, and I got absolutely zero back from the HSC. But the so interview didn't go any further than that as to where those locations might be, whether they'd be in suburban settings or where it'd be on hospital facilities. Well, see, this is the thing now with the Lord Mayor saying a, a hospital uh, facility there to there, and he mentioned the use of, uh, use, or sorry, using buses to bus people to facilities. The city council want this out of the city meeting. It's as simple as that. They don't want it in the city. I've been, spo- I've been speaking to politicians myself about it. So they want the problem out of the city, and they want to dump it on the, on, on the people just living outside the city then. So it becomes our problem then, which is not fair. You know, I mean, maybe maybe Mr. Kelleher would like an old extension built onto the side of his office in the city hall and he can look at it every day as well. No politician would want it within their constituency, though, because they'd get grief. The, uh, uh, but see, that's the whole point. So you would, put it, you would put it in a hospital setting. I'm not suggesting the orthopedic, but it could be any one of the other ones or the orthopedic. Most, I mean, it, it, is, it is a medical intervention and it is medically trained staff. Why wouldn't you have it in a hospital? But you know, I'd, I'd agree for it to be in a hospital, but leave it in a hospital in the city centre, need You know? Okay. Why, 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 should, why should it be bust out to the RDP, Dick? Okay, and you were also talking about the reason that the Dublin um, injection centre is hitting roadblocks. What was that? Yeah, that, that was due to the fact that the school, that's right next to where they were putting, uh, well, it's the Cogan Merchants Key Centre, that's where they were putting it. They were upgrading the Merchants Key Centre, and there's a school based a hundred yards away from there, and the school got in two psychotherapists to analyse children about the effects that Merchants Key was having on them at the moment and what the injecting facility would cause the children. And the panel totally dismissed that. And if you read the report into it, the judge was scathing of Umbor Planala when he said that. For choosing that location. 
Yeah, the board never considered uh, the children's welfare when they made the okay. decision. Did you, walk, did you ever walk down around there? Because a few years ago, I did, for some crazy reason, I had to go down that way to get across the keys. Uh, and I've never seen such carry-on with people. Absolutely well, demented. They were fighting well, and roaring and screaming and attacking each other and kicking each other and trying to rob passers-by's bags and hassling people. It was shocking. And, 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 and five and six-year-old kids that were playing in the air, that's my happy meal. They were looking at that every day. So in fairness to the judge, the judge stood up to those, I, I, I call them war politicians, you know, that want to drive this into people. And they don't take care of it. They, they don't consider our interests at all. I'm involved in sport and organisations here in St. Vincent's, my local club. And I tell the kids on a constant basis... No to drugs. Don't be dealing with them. You know, you need, you, you need to stay in sport. You need to stay in school. And your man thinks it's grand. Then the Lord Mayor just to come in and say, look, shall we decriminalise drugs and we make it easier for everyone? Not drugs. No, he didn't say, like, like, he didn't say that. I mean, he said that he would be in favour de- of decriminalise, decriminalising drug use for addicts. Point being right. that that would lead to chaos because everybody would just claim to be an addict. I know. Neil, I, I looked just before I went. I was in the health facility recently and they had a sign up warning women, pregnant women, about smoking. You know, you're not to do it when you're pregnant and things like that. And these facilities have a provision in them because it, it was in the one that was going in the merchant's key that a pregnant woman, if she came in, she wouldn't be refused the right to use the injecting facility to take heroin. Now, anybody that takes heroin when they're pregnant, Neil, or Neil, the child goes through about two months of chronic medical rehabilitation afterwards to try and get some balance back into the baby's life. And the baby's born. The baby's born an addict, is it? The baby's but the, the, the baby spends about sixty-eight weeks inside the neonatal unit, uh, Neil, which costs about maybe eight to ten thousand. Going uh, through the horrors, like. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and the likes of the Lord Mayor and whoever wants these injecting facilities are basically saying, like, like it's okay, pregnant women can come in and they can join the party as well. Okay, okay. You know? Okay, it's not without its grey areas then, and that's one of them, pregnant uh, women who are also heroin addicts. But, but see, the, these, these, these are the, the anomalies that are there, Neil, that people don't want to discuss. They don't want to discuss them because they think everybody that's going in there is going in there with a shot and tight. I mean, give me a break. Like, I mean, I just think the Lord Mayor the last couple of days, no, I don't know what agenda he's pushing. I was listening his to it ag- again yesterday. His agenda he is, he said, um, to stop people who die down back alleys from dirty needles or get infections, serious, severe infections from dirty needles, and we have to get rid of the mantra of out of sight, out of mind, because it has not worked. That's what he's saying. Well, well 40, 40% of addicts won't even engage with these facilities, and they do this all the so, like, you're only cleaning up 60% of the problem if that's the case. Better than nothing, though, isn't it? Well, you're still even 40% out there. Okay, okay. You know? Okay, Mars, appreciate that. Wouldn't it be a better idea to open up more rehab clinics uh, and try and get the addicts to get help to get clean instead of opening up an injection centre to let them get more messed up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or both maybe Mary Jane why are the government using the chemists to dish out needles and methadone 
the same people turn up every single day. Keep those texts coming. There are others. I was telling you yesterday of uh, two members of Angarda Shikona up in North Cork with a speed gun and then a couple of miles down the road, maybe even less than a couple of miles, was a speed van. And I was wondering, what's the logic? You'd have one or the other. Keith says, the whole point of the speed van a few minutes up the road from where the guards are doing the speed check is the driver slows down when they realise there's a guard a speed checkpoint ahead. But they put the boot down and then think, ah, it's grand now. Drive on down the road and then they get done for speeding by the speed van van. It's all a money-making racket. Well, isn't that entrapment, actually? Uh, there's a load of things involved in that text, actually, because don't they say... I understand what you're saying. That, so they, you, you claim they slow down because they see the guard a gun and then they speed up and they get caught by the Gatso van. But don't they say that by the time you see the guard and you see the guard with the gun, the speed gun, it's too late. They've already got you. You've already been done. Isn't that the case? That by the time you see him, it's too late? Back after 11, text 0868104106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show And remember we have a 500 euro tab towards an evening out for you and up to 20 of your friends will cover the food and drinks to the value of 500 euro at the yard at the castle in Glanmire a great get together and it's a fully heated tent big stretch tent big outdoor area there voted in the top 10 venues in Ireland you could go and watch a match for instance or celebrate a family occasion or a birthday or a 21st or an engagement or a hen or whatever the case may be but text or WhatsApp 086-8104-106 on what you do on your night out or who you bring with you text 0868-104-106 very busy this morning so I'm going to plough through as many calls as I can listening to our conversations earlier on the planned injection centres Dr. Sharon Lambert a research psychologist at UCC and thinks that some of the language used this morning has been damaging and unhelpful so let us find out why Dr. Sharon good morning Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having me You're on. more than welcome. And you're the psychologist, so I'm very keen to hear your interpretation of things. Um, what, what, what's damaging, incidentally, with regards to the language used this morning? Uh, well, I did hear the J word used a couple of times. J-U-N-K-I-E. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So people who use drugs uh, very frequently have quite severe mental health issues, and they feel really bad about themselves. So no matter how judgmental the rest of us are about them, it is nothing compared to how they feel about themselves. And when we use language like that, it reinforces how they feel about themselves and they're less likely to get help. We have to get real about this problem. Ireland is the fourth highest drug-related death rate in the EU. I suspect in the next league table that will be even higher because we know that twice as many people died in homelessness in Dublin last year than died the year before. So... We don't talk about people who have mental health problems in the way that we talk about people who use drugs, but people who are addicted to drugs often have mental health issues. And for the first time in Ireland, we now have people who are entering homelessness who are not addicted to anything Mm. and who are becoming addicted in homelessness. Mm. So if we're looking at people on the street who are struggling, we need to look at the reasons why and start giving them support um, and one of those things is a safe injecting centre, mm. because when you get people in, you can build connections and relationships with them. 
and you can help them to link them in with the services that they need. Those people are our mothers, our fathers, our sisters, our brothers, our cousins. They're not some type of alien individual. The problem I think that people have with it is that it just seems to be one string in the bow. Okay, there's an injection center where somebody can go and, um, you know, safely inject heroin, but at the same time talk to the professionals about getting them help. But where is the help? I mean, there's 1.3 million people on hospital waiting lists already in Ireland. There are no rehab beds available. So how are we going to tackle that? How are we going to turn around their problem? Like one of the things is is that when you meet people with compassion, they're much more likely to be able to, to, to reach out for the services that you need. I absolutely accept there is massive underfunding in this space. Four times as many people die from a drug-related death than they do in road traffic accidents. Twice as many people die every year um, from drug-related deaths than die by suicide. We invest heavily, very heavily in those areas. Um, because we're saying we want to protect lives and drug-related death is a public health issue. When somebody dies, it's a very stigmatising death and it often leaves behind a really traumatised family who are not able to grieve always in the same way that other people are able to grieve and that has intergenerational effects. So I'm sure most of your listeners will have heard of the Two Norries podcast and they'll have heard James's story about one night when somebody said something really kind to him and that was his catalyst for change. So if somebody comes into a safe injecting centre and they meet somebody really kind, that could be their catalyst for change. We can't ignore this. Uh, we see it every single day on our streets. And, and I heard you, Neil, describe you know, what you witnessed in Dublin. We all talk about mental health and we're all really compassionate about mental health. Mental health sometimes looks really messy. And mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Senator Lynn Rand spoke about this um, at a, a live podcast at the weekend. Mm-hmm. She talked about how trauma and mental health, it's not always like that photograph you see of somebody sitting in a psychologist's office. Sometimes people are out of control. Yeah. They're angry. They're cross. They're frightened. Trauma and mental health can look really messy. And, and even when that stra- even when that strays into criminality to find to to fund a habit or an addiction, that also should be dealt with compassionately, should it? Well, it, it should because we know in Portugal, and um, Portugal had one of the highest drug-related deaths in the EU at one point, and they totally changed uh, their drug policy to a health-led approach. It's now the second lowest level of drug-related death in Europe. Well, statistically, this has got to be a good thing. I mean, you're backing it up with fantastic statistics there. And also, you made a direct link between tackling homelessness and reducing addiction. And making sure that people have access to mental health support. Because people go into homelessness addicted to nothing. But because of their circumstances and those perhaps that they're with are just the horrors of the life ahead of them, they turn to drugs. Drugs work really well at managing emotional pain. That's why people take them. And But for the grace of God, Neil, I don't know what I would do if I was faced with not oh, knowing for God's where I was sake, going to put my I. head on a bed You can be damn sure of that, yeah. yeah. People yeah. who are experiencing homelessness get physically assaulted. They get um, assaulted in, in other ways. I, I won't get into it because of the time of day that it is. Mm. But uh, they face huge horrors sometimes in homelessness. And... When you have a mental health difficulty, it can be very difficult to access appointments if you do start using drugs because 
many services won't work with you. So we have to have dual diagnosis services that support people who have a mental health issue and an addiction issue at the same time together. Um, we need to have housing first. So if you look at um, Finland, for example, they've almost eradicated, eradicated homelessness because they don't say, oh, in order to get a house, you have to have A, B and C. What they recognise is that a house creates stability. So they give you your house first or your apartment. Is everybody a house, are you saying, or is it people who present with addictions? People who are experiencing homelessness. Okay. They have a housing first. So they give, and and loads of them have addictions and, and poor mental health. So they give you your house first. And then they tackle all of your other and, and they got that across the line in Finland because I could see that play out differently here with people who are themselves looking at homelessness and evictions and nowhere to live who aren't addicts and just worked very hard and stayed on the straight and narrow and they don't get a free house. There's no such thing as a free house, Neil. Everybody pays for housing. So if you were in housing first, you pay a percentage of your wages just like mm. you do with social housing in Ireland. Um, there are no free houses in Ireland. Everybody who has a house in Ireland pays some type of Significantly rent. less than people who work, though. They pay, they pay a percentage of the income that they come in. So, like, if you want to talk about social housing, um, the person who makes your latte in the morning meal or who irons your shirt <laughs> earns a minimum wage, they will not be able to afford 1,500 or 2,000 euros a month in rent. Yeah. So if you want people to pay more in rent, then you need to pay them a living wage. Um, you see, if you look at the 1.5 that they've applied for for the injection centre, right? Nobody can give me a figure as to what, say, Cork has applied for for rehab facilities because that figure doesn't exist. Um, the HSE at the same time then waste vast quantities of money. I mean, a typical example of that would be the fact that they had ring-fenced €2 million Euro of HSE taxpayers' money to pay Tony Hula and salary in, in Trinity. So they clearly have money. Why aren't they spending what they have? This is a story in the newspaper this morning about money that was wasted. I think £1.25 was wasted in court moving people from one mental health facility to another mental health facility that's not now actually happening. So, look, there are lots of inadequacies in the HSE and I'm certainly not going to... Well, them. you and I, in the, one, in the one conversation, have just identified 3.5 million. You think, yeah. what... I mean, imagine the good that could be done with that money. I would love to see what I call aggressive outreach, where you go out and you meet people where they're at. Um, so you take addiction counsellors out, they go out and they meet people and build relationships with them and then bring them in. But as you said, not, not everybody needs residential treatment, but a lot of people do. And we need more residential beds. They need to be available for longer periods of time. Some people will go in and do fine in 12 weeks. Some people might need 12 months, depending on you know, trauma or mental health. So we should be... It, it's costing us money to not invest in drug services because people who are using drugs are getting hurt and they're ending up in hospital. Sometimes they're hurting others and they're ending up in prison. So it is costing us money to not help people in addiction. Do you have a thought on the Lord Mayor saying to me this morning, and many people are picking up on this, that if he he had his way, he would decriminalise drug use if somebody was an addict, that they, if they were... Yeah, you would agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, because we know that it works. It has worked in, in other jurisdictions. That's the, the model in, 
in Port- in Portugal, it's a health-led approach, so it recognises that, like, I actually, I've heard uh, James and Kimmy talking about this in the Tunaris. The current approach that we have is three strikes and you're out. So if you, you know, you catch somebody three times and then you convict them. Um, sometimes people are convicted on their first offence. If you're somebody who is dependent on drugs, you could get caught three times in one day. When you wake up in the morning and you're addicted to a substance or addicted to alcohol, whatever it is, you have to keep taking it. Otherwise, you're going to withdraw. And for example, if you withdraw from alcohol without it being medically managed, or you withdraw from benzodiazepines without it being medically managed, you're at risk of seizure and death. Okay, would it include... So you cannot just stop. You have to keep using but would that be? Would that include a criminal offence that was committed by somebody while addicted to heroin? Would that also not be a criminal offence? Do you mean if somebody commits a burglary? Yeah, or, or, or robs somebody to feed a habit. Would, would that be prosecutable or would it be okay to say well, actually, we're not going to prosecute you for that because you're addicted to uh, an illegal my, substance. My understanding is that it's only in relation to the possession of, okay. of the drugs itself. And, and then once you get somebody in then into that health-led approach, that's when you can start putting the services around them. If criminalizing people who use drugs worked, there would be nobody in prison as a result of drug use. It doesn't work. When you're feeling mentally unwell or you've experienced trauma and you need to use drugs and to feel better, to feel okay, to feel normal, to feel like you can just put one foot in front of the other. The thought of of going to court is not enough um, because you just... You don't care about that. It's not high on your radar. Because you need to survive and you hear so many people who use drugs say, but for the fact that I was using drugs, I might have died by suicide because I was struggling so much with my mental health and my emotional pain. I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't deal with the thoughts in my own head. And drugs and alcohol are very good um, at at dulling down that pain. Anesthetizing the pain. Where would you put an injection centre? Would you be in favour of on a medical campus facility? Are you looking like the Sydney... where Where to be used. Mm, so that sounds to me as if it would be city centre, though, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It should be. There's no point in having it and uh, thinking if you build it, they will come. If if I'm using heroin, for example, and I, I'm starting withdraw, to withdraw and I'm feeling unwell, I'm not going to walk 20 minutes to a safe inject. I'm going to have to use it straight away. So people are already injecting in the city centre, and we see it, and it's very distressing. Um, so... The ambulance service, I imagine, I, I know that uh, the court, uh, Drug Task Force will have mapped where people are overdosing. So where you have the highest level of overdosing is where you should put your services. Okay, so where would that, would South Infirmary not work though? It's fairly central. Would one of the hospitals up around the Mardike not work? They're very central, for instance. They, they may do. Uh, it, I think it should be wherever the service is needed, otherwise it won't work. What about the community that have to live amongst the gatherings then? And uh, I know, you know, all, all of that, as you call the messiness that is attached to it. Well, if, you know, what you have to do is you have to put up with it because it's, it, it exists now. You have to put up with it for a little while until it gets better. And that's what happens is it gets better. Um, doing nothing means that we stay the same. And I heard one of your callers speaking about the proposed one in Dublin and how it was going to be inside a primary school. Those children are seeing people using drugs anyway. 
And for some of those children, it's their brothers, it's their sisters, it's their mothers. Ah, but that's little fathers. consolation to people trying to raise a happy family, though, or go about their business, um, you know, unimpeded. Like, I mean, you know, that's the, you have the theory of it, but in practice, it would be awful to be living with that. Would you like it? I absolutely would have absolutely no problem because it's a health letter. It's a, it, this is a health issue. And we don't talk like this about any other group of people who have, have health problems. That's like saying, you know, God, I don't want to ever see anybody suicidal in Cork City because that, that, it upsets me. Um, some of the, the pain that other human beings go through is upsetting to watch. And if we don't intervene, it will keep getting worse. We have to do something, doing nothing means that it just stays the same or gets worse. If we do something, we could end up like Portugal, where they are now in, in the lowest two for drug-related deaths in Europe. So then you don't have to look at this out your window. It disappears. And you end up with happier, healthier, safer communities. How did the Portuguese do it then? Did they put in injection centres? Did they yes. decriminalise? Did they, they have more rehab? They decriminalised and they diverted the money that was going into the criminal justice aspect of it into uh, drug services. So when somebody goes into uh, a safe injecting site, for example, or when somebody is arrested for possession uh, of drugs, they are diverted into the health services and given the help that they need. And if we did that, that would benefit all of us. All of us would live in happier, healthier, safer communities. Thanks for taking the call, Sharon. Yeah, go ahead. And I just want to finish off by saying... This could happen to any of us, Neil. This could happen to any of our children. Um, so there are loads of parents who are probably listening to this show uh, where their child is one of the people that we're talking about. And I would be very happy to do anything to keep that that, that person alive. That's okay. my perspective on it. Okay, that. and thank you for it. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. Sharon Lambert, research psychologist at UCC. Your thoughts on that and everything else? Always welcome. Text 0868104106. Can I just say, if you have a story to share, you can always just get it down on an email. Email neil at redfm.ie. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Go on, there you go. Text 0868104106 is right. Uh, I'll come back to this in a, co- a couple of seconds. Time. A super, super text came in from Kieran. Thank you. This is off topic from earlier on this morning. I nearly said off road, but it was to do with the conditions of our road, which are absolutely appalling. Good luck to you now if you're doing road trips across the summer in Ireland because the state of the roads will just break your heart. Anyway, on the road condition issue which you raised with uh, the deputy on the air, um, 100% agree with you. If the botched repairs by utility companies were addressed, it would result in a significant improvement in road conditions. He says, I've lost count of the number of pristine roads that attract utilities companies like flies to you-know-what and they then leave the road afterwards in a state of you know what. If I need to open up a channel from my house to the water meter on the public footpath, I have to apply for a license and reinstate the footpath using a council approved contractor. It's a pre existing condition. When are the legislators going to make it obligatory for councils to obtain bonds from contractors that are maintained at the contractor's expense for a year? Pending the final inspection of their so-called repair works on our roads, the contractor may have to increase their charges to the council, but surely that would be a fraction of the cost to resurfacing the roads, which inevitably results 
Also, whatever the pretend joined up thinking between councils and utilities that may be in place now needs to be looked at. In this day and age, councils know which roads are due to be resurfaced at least a year in advance. Utilities should sign off that they will not require to reopen those resurfaced roads except in an emergency. This nonsense has got to stop. And he's right. You could have pristine roads that have recently been done. And you could find weeks or months later, utility companies are in there, whatever they are. They could be any kind of utilities company digging up the roads to do whatever they need to do in these trenches and then resurfacing them shockily. So you've got, you know, um, actually you're entitled to compensation. If, if you're driving your car, apparently you're entitled to compensation for city or county council. If, for instance, your car is damaged or your tire is damaged or your, your rim is damaged, I think you're entitled to it. If, for instance... Your car was damaged by a pothole that had been filled but emptied again. I know it sounds crazy when I put it like that, but I understand that's the that's the way of it. You've got to be able to prove that it was a filled pothole that got emptied again for whatever reasons, you know, usually weather and rain or what have you. But I just don't get it. You see these perfectly good roads dug up by utility companies and the way they put them back then, time after time after time. It's just shoddy work. I mean it just it just is. Text 0868104106 on that one. Uh, stay with the phone lines for a second if you don't mind. Jim, good morning. Neil, how are you, boys? I'm good, but I don't want to know anybody's names or anything like that. You can make a general comment if you wish. That's, that's all it's just, General. I just say that there's no appetite to cure the drug problem. And the reason for that is that there's a point of people in power in this country and they're all under drugs. It's on our streets. It's in our schools. It's in our clubs. We all know it. It's everywhere. Every one of us know somebody who's bloody on it and stuck in it. And all I'm saying is if you want to cure it, start at the top. The next politician oh, that's on with you, that's above and dial arm, ask him would he have any objection to be drug tested or would the rest of them like to be drug tested? Just a simple thing. Next teacher's union man is on it, ask him would there be any objection to drug testing our teachers? And start, if we're going to cure it, everyone that's in the game gets tested. Stop looking at the guy in the street. He's at the end of the, at the, at the ladder now. He's ghosted. He's only there to be saved so he can have some sort of a normal life. But let's get a grip on this. Let's arrest the drug dealers. Let's give them time. Let's stop nursing them. Let's, Why let's wasn't it like... They're very, you're right. Why wasn't the drug dealer who was dealing at Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock at the back of the Sacred Heart with a queue, right? So they're queuing yeah. up to this drug dealer on the Western Road and then they go into the bushes to shoot yes. up. Why wasn't that yeah. drug dealer arrested? It was in broad daylight in the middle of the day, Saturday so, afternoon. Sunday morning, Neil. I passed them outside St. Finbar's Hospital dealing on the street. I was driving past and they said, look at that. And they were just dealing away openly. This is how, this is how we, this is what, and we're encouraging more of this. But then when and somebody rang Anglesey Street Garda Station to report it, Mick says he was told, come in and make a statement. I mean... Uh, but see, the cops don't want to deal with it. I, I came across, uh, the cops, they don't speak about, I, there was a crash in the airport road last weekend, so I hit an ambulance and he drove off. I, I followed him, got his number. I went to talk at Garda Station. That guard had no more interest in talking to me. I said, are you going to cop that man? He said, not unless someone makes a complaint. They don't want to do it. He, he crashed into an ambulance. Yeah, I just kept going. A black hound of a cow. And was, the ambulance, the, number, was the ambulance driving or parked up? No, it was, it was one of these white ambulances, so I don't think it was the one that collects if you're dying, but it's certainly part of the crew thing, you know. But the, did, that take, did, he driver, ta- did he take the reg number that you gave him? He did, he did, but it went into a book that's probably a scrapbook. No interest. Right. They don't want to do the bookwork. 
All right. You know that when you talk about everybody being on it, they're on the likes of amphetamines and tablets and cocaine and cannabis. They're not on crack cocaine and they're not on heroin. Listen, you're telling us for years, this is the this is the pattern to the big stuff. Everything. Look, if you're if you're a school teacher, you're on about testing in Australia for construction. There's drug testing. It's normal in these places, and that's why. You see the likes of uh, Sydney and stuff. That's why the numbers are down. Not because they have wet centres and drug centres. It's because they're testing people. You lose your job or you go to jail. Who is who least, is tested? I think the guards are tested, aren't they? I God, they're amazing. I've never anybody bloody been caught. Just look, go up and well, test. Maybe, maybe, up, maybe they're not yet, but they were certainly, they were certainly talking about... Um, go, go up and test them at Temple Moor. Like so are you, are you saying that there should be random, you've picked, you picked teachers there for an example, you said there should be a, a random teacher picked in every primary or secondary absolutely. school? Absolutely, absolutely, and anyone that's, anyone that's innocent have, no, have nothing to hide. Okay, okay, okay. And if the union man tells you he's not doing it, ask what he's hiding, test him first. <laughs> okay. So no, so, and this is why we won't cure it. It's Unless hypocrisy. Unless we random test and that becomes law. And we start saving our kids from the top down. You're only wasting your time having this conversation month on month, opening a drug center. Forget about it. Arrest the drug dealers, put them in jail, bloody try to help the people out of hooked up. And if you're caught and you're a civil servant and you're on drugs, you're not a civil servant anymore. And why are civil servants though? Why shouldn't why wouldn't it happen in the private sector? No, do it. Listen, do it there. I do it across the board. But I tell you, you try get into the civil service and try change something. Yeah, no, but you're honing in on the public sector for some extraordinary reason, exclusively. Push I'm just wondering why you're not suggesting that I should be power, drug tested going power, to work. They're the power makers. They're, they're, they're doing the law. I can't ask a guy walking in a factory to change the law. Well, why, why not? You're saying that a teacher would be tested on a Monday morning. Why shouldn't somebody going on a construction site in Ireland be tested yeah, on one? But they told you they do in Australia, and I'm saying do it here as well. Okay, I'm saying public, and public and private. I am not. But look, let's, I say, if you want to change, just start on the top. After the politicians, the judges, the cops, and let's let's the general public see that yes, something is happening. There is change in Ireland. This idea of nursing this with a bandage every time is killing our children. All our are bloody on it in town Saturday. It's rampant, rampant. Can't argue with that. Uh, co- co- so cocaine, yeah, cocaine is just. It's it's for many people now. It's just part of their social event, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And then Neil did bring it to a party. Thrown up on the table. There's a time we bring a bottle of beer. Now they bring a bunch of cocaine. It's thrown up on the table at the party. Yeah, no, it's more likely to be in the toilets, though, still. Neil, it's on the table. Trust me, boy. It's still at the parties. Okay, all right. It's that accepted with our use, and we've done that. You, me, and our generation nursing it and letting it happen and where it's caused this. Stop it. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Neil. Cheers, Bye-bye. Paul. Take care. Text 0868104106. Leah, good morning. Hi. Um, can you hear me properly? I can hear you loud and clear. What's okay. on your mind? Yeah. Hi. Uh, I was just ringing in there. I suppose I was listening to about the addiction I've listened over time. Yeah. Um, I'm the mother of a, an adult son who fell into addiction at a very old age. He went, he, he was a very quiet lad and at about 23, he took cocaine, and when he took it, he couldn't stop. He was a beautiful soul, great soul at the time, uh, quite young fella. But what led me to that is for five years, to rehab, and eventually prison, which I tried to prevent as a mom, 
as it started, I blame myself. I thought, oh, I've got it wrong. I've done this wrong. I've done that wrong. But my main point would be that we all why need Why prison? Though? Why, why did, do you mind me asking why it resulted in prison? The deaths of cocaine. The deaths. He, he, for, he, look, criminality goes with cocaine. You know, heroin then, I know of an ex-person who has a son on the street and he's on heroin, but he was never supported, never loved. Criminality kind of goes hand in hand with the cocaine. So the prison so for your son was because yes. of a, a drug debt that he had to rob for to pay, was it? Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now they allow the users was, to run up a debt. Yeah. Yeah, but you see, where I'm coming from, every court up and down the country I went in, he got clean sober for two years. But he he was held accountable. He'd have to raise three and a half thousand to have to pay this. But unfortunately, he fell back into addiction, and with that prison, which I think he he probably had to. Me, I was ashamed because there's no one in my family that ever went there. I was even ashamed of my own family. But my point, I suppose, I'm trying to say: Were is, you ever hit for the drug debt? I wonder. Just curious. Um, no. Okay. No. Was I fearful? Did well, I have? Yeah, they they lean on families if the debt remains unpaid. Yeah, but you see, it's kind of complicated in another way. I suppose my main point is really what I want to bring around is it's an illness. It took me a long time to even accept it. I mean, at the end of the day, if someone is cancelled, they're treated for it. Yeah, if someone has addiction, it's an illness. Even my own personal people I know, they look at me with foreheads. But the family suffer immensely. But that person does, you know, it makes them do bad things and become a person they don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a lot of it is their mental health. Now, I'll only say on the court system, every time I used to go in there, which I never was in court in my life, bar with my son, um, they'd be convictions, 99 convictions, and they'd be off their head on whatever. And they'd be saying from side to side, the judge would let them go. As in my son, he had to come up with the money, he had to pay... And I do think you put manners on him. But with the heroin, I know of somebody, but he's never gotten the support. Next family member of a person I was with. Mm. And he's never loved. But the heroin is a completely different ballgame whereby, you know, they're sick. They, 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 they don't know how to get out of it. It's, it's a loophole, you know. And I'm aware of Cork So the courts, deal, the courts deal with cocaine crime, related crime, differently to heroin-related crime. They do, they yeah. do. But yeah. even what I could see, which I think is kind of, you know, I don't know, like I'd hear, oh, this person's 99 convictions and the judge just knows they're not going to get money, so they're not going to be held accountable. Personally, I think you have to hold them accountable to a certain degree. But I also believe, my main point would be, you do need someone that loves you and has your back because with addiction, they have nobody for finish. And if you have nobody, well, you're just all alone and you feel like you're fighting this battle on your own. Why you do you know? say in your text that a lot of people turn their backs on their kids at 18 thinking their job is they, done? They think their job is done. They think at 18, like I, me personally as a mom, right? At 18, he was reared. And then I went, when I found out about his addiction, I was horrified and I stepped up. I had a lot of people say to me, he's a man, why are you doing this? I ran the roads for years, rehabs, done everything. But at the end of the day, he may be whatever age he was at the time. He's still my son. Yes. I get birth And he'll be my son even when he's 40. Yeah, absolutely. But a load of people, even family members, kind of looked at me with two heads. Now, I was, I've been on this merry ground, as I say, five years. 
and I have never, ever, ever, ever stopped. No, I don't think I your just, thinking process is out of kilter. I think theirs is. Yes, they're sick. No, I'm thinking. That, think, no, I'm talking about the relatives who said, "Why do you bother?" Like it's not your problem. No, they, of course they, it's your. He's your son. Of course it is. But you see, society even thinks like that. If 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 they are a certain age, they they maintain we raise them to eighteen and leave them. Oh, should they're adults now? Off you go. No, and at the end of the day, it's your it's your child you brought into the world. And as I say, even a forty, that's still my child. Remember a conversation some months ago on the air with a mother who goes into town because her son is living on the streets and uh, is very, very bad with heroin. And um, she brings him clothes and food and puts some money in his pocket as he sits down yeah. outside, I don't know, yeah. Debenhams and Patrick's. He doesn't know yeah. her. He doesn't know her at all. He just doesn't oh recognize her. Isn't that awful I for a mother whose son doesn't recognize her? It's heartbreaking. Like, even for me, like, I, I, my mental health, when everything went, I just totally lived for helping my son. To the point, like, you know, it's like a fight or flight, you know. And how is he now? He's doing really well, thank God, and everything is good. But I I believed at all times. I, I, I kept on the support, and I know it's a day-to-day basis. I know that. But what saddens me more than anything is this attitude of, oh, the 18 leaves them off. Like, And a lot of these 18-year-olds have parents that are educated and have money to go through the court system and they're not they're not stepping up to the plate with it. I think I it's think really I mean I can only talk from experience that you will always worry about your sons and daughters. Of course you always, will. Of course you will. always be looking out for them and always as of I say w- you worrying. You, there will always be a worry, you know? But sure look, when they were babies you put them to bed, you knew where they were and you could go to bed with, with a peaceful mind. There once they get older you've no peace. And I'll tell you, the most heartbreaking thing that broke my heart into a million pieces was to watch my son go through what he did. Because, you know, he done everything right. He was a good lad, everything. But he just took it one night and it was like carnage. A bull in the China shop. It just went mental for years and years and years and resulted, as I say, prison. And now he's doing well. But what I'm saying is, I don't think it stopped being the parents problem at a certain age, no, I suppose. No, no. It, it, no. It doesn't. And a lot of the, the kids in their own town, to be honest with you, they're very, very young. Besides that, even the kids, even like a 29-year-old, like, I mean, a 26-year-old, like, I mean, 24-year-old boy, like, what's a 24-year-old boy or girl? Like, but we have, we, have these, we have these street assaults now, for instance, Desi says. Yeah. It angers me to see that guy charged with the assault of the two British tourists walk out of court yeah. after getting bail. Why are these violent and dangerous people not at least remanded in custody? We hand them free legal aid as well, to see. That's Desi. But it just leads me on to, why are people assaulting just randomers uh, on our streets? Is, is it drugs? Are they on steroids? Why are they angry? Are they out I of their minds on something? I have an ex-partner without going into too much, but the, uh, this person has a son on, on heroin on the street. No, I won't, I won't, actually, do you know what? I oh, won't yeah, go yeah, there, Leo, yeah, because yeah. it's just okay. too dangerous an area okay. with regards okay. to defamation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I'm just, so I'm just wondering, why are we seeing more of these random... So anybody with a son or daughter, they want them to be able to go clubbing. They want them to be able to go into the city. But they could be yeah. the victim of a sucker punch or looking the wrong way or perhaps, you know, oh, maybe stupidly poor, saying the wrong thing at a chipper queue and bang. Yes, I've seen it, but it is drinking drugs. I'm afraid to go into town. I'm afraid. I, I Like, I worked in Cork City for years and years, and I'm afraid to go in there. Like, because, you know, I'm courteous, and my heart I, I, my heart is broken while I'm looking at it. It's not because of 
oh, look at them. It's, it's heartbreaking. It just breaks my heart. I, I come home just heartbroken, you know, and yeah, yeah I just oh, think... Yeah, I, I know, I know. You walk I just think... Yeah, you'd be out walking yeah, the dog. You're walking the dog there recently, I and I came across a, a bunch of handy dockets. Now they were roaring and screaming, and very physical. Now completely out of the head, I had to walk yeah. right through the middle of them. And I remember thinking to myself, "God Almighty, will I get out the other side of this in one piece, or what?" You shouldn't have to be like that. I think, though, the younger generation coming up with the violence inside the town, I think they're mixing drugs and drink. I've never personally, even yeah. my own son, I haven't experienced that. It's a newer, younger generation doing it. They, I, they're, they're just, they're just taking every kind of form of tablet and alcohol on top of it. All right, and that it is terrorizing Cork City. Yeah, yeah that is. All but right. yeah. I suppose I'll finish on. Look, at the end of the day, I, in my personal opinion, I think if more parents stood up to the plate and stopped this mindset of oh, they're eating their adults, no, take responsibility and help them through this illness. You know, I would like to think that the vast majority do, but listen, well done okay. for hanging in there okay. yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Okay, Neil, thank you. Back Bye-bye. after the break, thank you. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818 104 Back to the phone lines we go. Kira, good morning. Morning. This is Kira Rogers. It was uh, half past seven Monday evening. What, you step outside your front door on Blarney Street, was it? That was it, yeah. Um, a car just flipped over about 20 feet in front of me. It was shocking, absolutely shocking. It, it seemed to have clipped off a parked car. Um, and if anybody had been walking there, thank God it wasn't a school day, you know. Um, he'd have flattened people, like. It was absolutely shocking. Something has to be done about that street. How, do, how does a yeah. car, okay, it clipped off the car <laughs> that was parked up and it flipped on its roof. It slipped on its roof and landed on the footpath. And continued yeah. then to skid it, along. It, it skid along for, yeah, maybe about a metre or two then as well, yeah. Okay. You, you don't know whether was, that car, they're saying it wasn't speeding, was that the case? I don't think so. I don't think so. But then again, like, you know, I just sort of noticed it when it hit the car and flipped over, you know. I okay, what happened, what happened yeah. after that? Did the driver get out? Yeah, we um, there was another young man that was across the road and we ran to the car and I rang an ambulance and um, he walked out of the car. Yeah, he was fine. Thank God. And would you, and if it had been, say, 30 or 60 seconds earlier, would you have been in the place where the car ended up? Oh, definitely. I'd say 10 seconds. I'm a fast walker, you know. I, I'm always walking along that side of the path as well because it's a sunny side. And yeah. I'd oh, have been my dead. God. Yeah, it was absolutely frightening. Absolutely frightening. Um, so what's it? What is it? Like Blarney Street. Firstly, there's it's very narrow, right? Is it? Yeah. Is it two way? It's two way, and I think what happens as well is people make a dash for it because there could be twenty cars on one side, and people make a dash for it. Then you know, um, so that they can get down the road, and like that's that's probably where the speeding is going. I get you. That's what the chap speeding. from City View Wheels said. They've been up there yeah. 40, 50 years yeah. now. They said when people see a break ahead of them, they put the boot yeah. down and make a dash to yeah. get to the other end. And that's where a lot of the trouble is coming from. Yeah, because otherwise you can get stuck because of like the situation. Like there's always people getting stuck because it's so, the traffic is quite heavy as well, especially around school times and stuff. So like there could be... I've seen cars getting stuck all the time. I saw a truck getting stuck there not so long ago, a couple of months back as well. You what know, would fix it? One-way system, like, 
Definitely. One of my system, myself and my fiancé have been emailing the councillors since we moved up there about a year ago about a one-way system just it would be safer I think you know it worked really well on Barrick Street remember that was yep. the way before yeah I think it's worked really well there there could be like uh, yeah I think I saw that the city view wheels were saying you know up from Sunday as well they could do yeah. a loop you know you have to do a bit of like a dash that. on Douglas Street as well you know it's a similar yeah, situation there isn't that's it true yeah that's true and that's kind of weird that's like one way some of it isn't it and there's two ways that's some of right as well. yeah, so, yeah yeah it's, yeah it's just, yeah, and just the road has gotten so much busier in the past few years, like up there. Um, Your man's right on the money, actually, isn't he? Um, the oh. chap Patrick Murray at City View. Yeah. He also uh, said, yeah. years ago, you'd see a Ford Fiesta or small cars, right? Now you see Tucson's, a big SUVs. Cars oh now God. are 50 yeah. cent, 50% bigger than, say, yeah. 10. Everyone's in an SUV now, big, huge beasts of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's no need for it living in town. Are you pulling a horse box? Like, come on. And the one <laughs> that crashed actually and flipped was a big Kia, wasn't it? It looked like a big it SUV. Was a Kia, I think. No, I don't think it was an SUV. I think it was um, a hatchback. All oh, right, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it upside yeah. down. I'm looking at it upside. Yeah, you know, You're just lucky yeah. to be alive. I just feel that way. Yeah, uh, I just like I, I, I was walking back into my studio in the city as well that evening and like every time a car passed me I was jumping you know when something like that happens you're on edge for a bit but God, know, God no one was hurt yeah, and there was you, kids playing there was kids playing just up from City View Wheels there's a little park there was kids playing in there three little boys like you know and it just, yeah, it just doesn't bear thinking about what No, it happen. doesn't. And this is a time for change now because it could have been very, yeah. very different. We might not we, yeah. we might not be talking at all. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, stay. And, uh, uh, I think the Blarney Street Community Association has been calling for something for years and years, you know. Something has to be done. I think Colm Colum Keeley also witnessed it at the same time. Colm, good morning. Yeah. Good morning, Neil. Um, yeah, I saw him coming down from the boys' school at a high speed. You oh, witnessed. You witnessed this. Yeah, I witnessed it because I was coming down from the island, the Boys Street side, and he was coming down in a ten speed. You actually okay. said it looked something yeah. in the region of eighty kilometers. Eighty plus, yeah, because okay. he could. He wow. couldn't have just. Ja- he couldn't have just jammed this against the car and flipped onto its um, onto its back. How do you flip something like this at 30 kilometres an hour? Like, it just doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah, so it's, you're, to, you're talking at least 80 plus to get, hit the oh. car and flip. And flip onto its... Um, so to you die. are telling me that you witnessed the car speeding? He was coming down at 10 speed um, wow. at the break of the boys' school by the... Um, the... I can't think of the other shop, but there's a shop there. But he was coming down in a 10 speed. Okay, and tell me, mm. I, I, um, I, w- do you think that speed was because he was trying to get down before traffic came against him, you know what I mean, where they make a dash for it? That's going on for years like that, up there. Get down there you, quickly, because if you don't, you're going to get stuck. So put the boot down. You're talking up to an hour to an hour and a half before you, if they, it gets that bad, getting out of there. Did it hit mm. another car or did it clip the footpath? Wh- which was it? it See when I when when I got finally down by the old Macosla's um, uh, pub, I I I was told that he clipped it off the curb and landed less than a meter outside a person's house. Because that would spin the car, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's the, that's what I was thinking because he would easily clip if he was going on a ten speed, clip the curb by uh, city view wheels, 
there is a downstairs flat by City Review was wheeled. He's obviously clipped it and spun onto its back. I mean, it's the photographs are absolutely extraordinary, like that there wasn't somebody there at the same but time. But for the last 20 years, we're trying to get that road down to a one-way street. Do you think this will do it, a near-miss like this? It has to, because, Neil, because the traffic is unbelievable. When you're up by St. Joseph's Nurseries, eh, sorry, the care home, right, there's a traffic jam there. When you get down by the um, the Joshery, there's a massive jam there. Yeah. And when you're down by City View Wheels, it's like an, you're a nightmare trying to get over. And if they see an opportunity to get through it, they'll put the metal, they'll put the boot to the metal and try and get there fast. And this this can be the consequences of it. Yeah. Okay. But well, it's not control. the first time for, because this crash. This is not the first time. There was multiple car crashes over the last two years uh, on Bernie Okay. Okay. Thank you both. Uh, appreciate you both taking the call, Kira Rogers and Colm Keeley. Text 0868104106 if you'd like to contribute to that or any other of our conversations. Uh, back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Time to go, but before I do, we have a 500 euro tab at the yard at the Castle in Glanmire. You and up to 20 of your friends. Food and drink you can spend it on who you want and on what you want but how would you spend it and who would you invite Valerie Lynch is my name I'd love to give it to my sister Mary and her future husband Paul for a night out with our families when she comes home from Australia with Paul and son Ollie we haven't seen him yet they're going to get married in Kinsale on the August weekend this is our third time trying to get married at home over Covid so I'd love it for her and for us and we all love a good party says Valerie I'd use it to take my parents Pat and Dennis and extended family out I'm home visiting from Australia be amazing to use it to catch up with everyone after Covid says Deirdre Ring in Ballyvalan. Welcome home. I'd use it, uh, the 500 euro tab, to have the 21st that I never had during lockdown. I'll be turning 23 in June, but we'll say nothing, says Ross. 23 in June and never had a 21st, all because of the C word. I bring all my family together as a pre-wedding get-together. We're being married in August. This would help us so much along the way. It's been difficult to try and plan everything through COVID. This would be just the cherry on top to set us up for our big day. That's Ashling and Cullum. And two more. I'd love to win the tab in Glanmire. Myself and my fiancé recently got engaged, moved into our new home. I turned 30, so it would be really nice to celebrate all those occasions with family and friends. I would love to be considered for the voucher in the yard in Glanmire. Sadly, we laid my mum to rest. Easter Monday. Easter will never be the same again. I would love to take my family out before they leave to go back to Australia and to England, says Amanda Keating in Ballon Temple. I'm very sorry for your loss and thank you for your text. So do text on those. Text 0868104106. You can also WhatsApp and we'll do some more on them tomorrow and pick a winner on Friday. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.